Honorable Mangeti, good morning. Morning, Tatendumi. So how are you? <laughs> Fine, and how are you? All right. Okay. I'm fresh from. Um, okay, let me not worry. I'm fresh from AK conference. <laughs> I want more. Take me on bilaterals after this meeting. You know why, what's my interest. I know. <laughs> He was there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that didn't do me. That was a patumela. The guy in that. The thing, the guy. I just see your nose and your mouth. That's all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. I don't know what's happening there. I'm trying also to look for a good spot here. Your video is showing Minister Dumel. Good morning, Good morning, Minister. Thank you. Good morning, Mesape and Babun Dumiso. Okay. Hey, good morning, Minister. Good morning, uh, members of the committee. Morning. Manchester, who are you slam? Minister, what is this blue about? Is it the G? Oh, sorry. It's <laughs> it's actually royal blue. Oh, okay. You yes, know, as royalty. <laughs> from the side of from the side of the Western Cape, we become nervous when we sue the blue train. No, you know I'm a princess. So sometimes yeah. I must I must remember my royalty. No, Gagosa. So Labos Labos must know where you stand. You know, <laughs> got nothing got nothing to do with you, Masipa. It's royal. Do mail under this squatcher. This is royal blue. Don't be a mistake. Dumel under this squash. Dumel and Dumel. Honorable squash. Hello. I understand. I understand your concern. I was about to even mention that name that you couldn't say. Good morning, members. Good morning, members. Hey, that blue. It's Royal Mr. Uh, in another platform is named something else. <laughs> Mr. I, I can't stop being royalty because of the car. 
It really is a blue minister. <laughs> I'm sure Honorable Brustain is so happy where she is. <laughs> Good morning, members. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Can we start the meeting? Can we start the meeting or must I start the meeting? No, you can't start the meeting, Mr. Good morning, ma'am. If the chairperson of the committee is absent or unable to perform the functions of the chairperson, the committee must elect another of its members as acting chairperson. Can I call for nominations? Members? Any nomination? For an acting chairperson? My hand is yeah, up. Your hand is up, Ms. Chatter. Yes, yes, Secretary. Um, uh, you can take the floor, ma'am. Um, I would, I would, I would nominate uh, Honorable Man to act on, on behalf of the chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, MP Chetek. Any seconder? Yes. Babu Kappa? Yes, I second the nomination of Honorable Mankej Chape to act as chairperson in this meeting. Thank you, Babu Kappa. Any further nominations, members? Any further nominations, members? Now, Chair, we can proceed. Thank you very much, Ms. Dane. Ms. Klappe, you can take over. Thank you. Thanks, uh, colleagues, and good morning. I'm trying to get a good spot in this house, and I hope this will sustain me for now. Let me take the opportunity also to acknowledge the presence of the Minister, Metokodidiza, Deputy Ministers, Ndate Squatcha. I don't know if uh, Deputy Minister Kappa is also in attendance. The DG and the team, the ITB, and everybody who's attending this uh, meeting this morning. Can we check the agenda that has been sent to us? We are on a roll call and apologies. Any apologies, Secretariat? Thank you, thank you, uh, um, The apology for today is from the DG as well as Utatukabekulu. Thank you. I thought you will also take the apology of the chairperson whose chair I'm acting now. Oh, Mamonyamza, I think. 
Honorable Mandela. Thank you. Well, I tender the apology for the chairperson chair. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, colleagues. I think uh, those are the apologies that has been tendered for this meeting this morning. We're meeting to deal with uh, items that are there on the agenda. The first one would be presentation on the strategic annual performance plans and budgets allocation for 2022-23 financial year by Ingonyama Trust Board. At this point, let me hand over to the Minister Meto Kodidiza for opening remarks. Colleagues will remember that uh, in the previous meeting, we couldn't uh, handle this item because of uh, issues of budget that was not tabled with the APP and uh, the entity has to be retained so that processes could be followed in this regard. Honorable Minister, your opening remarks before we go to handle this item. Thank you very much, um, Honorable uh, Chairperson of our session today and good morning to all the members. Indeed, honorable uh, members, as you indicated that uh, the budget was not tabled together with the uh, APPs. And the reason for that is that the proposed budget at the time which was uh, given to the minister was actually a deficit budget. And therefore, I requested that we have an engagement with the board because from where I sit, I don't think it was advisable for us to present a deficit budget. We've been working with the board and I'm waiting for their final presentation. And I will therefore ask the chair, if you permit that we can go on with the uh, APPs if um, it will be okay for the chair and the committee. We will uh, share with you as soon as the discussions have been concluded with the board on the matters that we had been raising with them in respect of their finances. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, thanks, uh, Honorable Minister. Colleagues, Honorable Members, that is the indication that uh, the budget has not yet been tabled because there's deficit and talks are ensuing between the Ministry and uh, Ingonyama Trust Board. Let me take hands from honorable members. The minister is proposing that if it's okay with the honorable members, we handle the APP. Recording in progress. I'm opening the floor for engagement on this one. Thank you very much, Chair, and good morning to yourself, the Minister DMs, and all members of the Portfolio Committee. Chair, I think we can proceed as Minister has proposed. Thanks, Honorable Masati. Honorable Stein.
Please unmute. Please unmute, Honorable Stein. Thank you, Chairperson. And I think it's it's highly irrigated. On my side, it shows I'm unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah, you are audible Thank now. I just wanted to say I think it is highly irregular it is highly irregular, highly irregular that we are proceeding but I do believe that we must proceed because we must debate uh, the department and the entities in the house during our budget debate Chair, I, I would also propose that the minister send us something in writing so that we have it in writing and that we may um, file that for, for, uh, for our budget debate in, um, that we have records of that. And let, let's proceed. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Stein. Honorable Kappa. Uh, Thank you, Chair. Honorables, the two honorable members have covered me because I was also going to second uh, that taking into consideration the commitment that the minister has asked and referred to us. Therefore, with that on record, let us continue. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Chapa. Honorable Chapa, you can lower your hand, Honorable Chapa. Honorable Minister. The committee is agreeing that we proceed. And uh, there's also a request that you give us something in writing of these undertakings for filing purposes. As the honorable member is indicating that this is highly irregular, but because of the processes that needs to be followed and of debating your APP together with all that of the entities, this should be documented. You sent us something in writing in this regard. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thanks to honorable members for your understanding. I will indeed uh, send it in writing. And I appreciate uh, the understanding of the members because indeed, as honorable Stain is saying, it is irregular, but it would have been even more irregular for the minister to have approved a deficit budget without understanding why are we here and why are we actually having such a situation, which uh, I reflected with the members of the full board when I had a physical meeting with them. And I actually requested that members of the board do go into detail as to why are we finding ourselves in such a financial situation as in Gonyama Trust Board. And I am waiting for that detailed report what I've received uh, last week was actually a two-pager which does not satisfy exactly what we had agreed to because I will have to engage Treasury in that regard. So I don't want to stand in the way of the committee debating the APP, but I will put in writing uh, the matters as has been requested from me. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Thanks, Honorable Minister. I'm now handing over to you and your team that you call the entity to present. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. I will ask the Chairperson and the CEO of the board to take on the presentation on the APP.
experience difficulty. I don't know. Uh, thank you, uh, Chairperson. Thank you, Minister. Morning to all the members of the committee and to all present. Uh, I think uh, where we would start is we will deal with the APP as agreed by the committee. And in this regard, I would invite the CEO of the ITB, uh, Advocate Mgwengwe, to take us through the APP. Thank you. Good morning, Chairperson and members of the committee. Um, thank you for the opportunity to present the APP of the Ngonyama Trust Board. Um, I would request, I'm not sure who's controlling the screen. I would, I would request that um, we just go straight to Slide number 10. You are assigned as a co-host. You can share your screen still. The, the, the chair, there might be a user problem. Let me let me let me try. Can the committee see? There's nothing. Can the committee see now? Yeah, it's now the seven. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Um, the Chairperson Ingonyama Trust, um, whose affairs are administered by Ingonyama Trust Board. Is, a, is an organization with a massive potential, um, which due to historical factors relating to its organizational development and the relating to its financing, it has kind of developed along a path where it does far less than what is actually its potential. So, what what you what you therefore see in in in, in annual performance plans of the Trust 
never really represent what this organization can do if it was properly structured or its nature and character clearly defined and understood and, and shared amongst all that must play a role. So Chair, what, what we've done with respect to, 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 to the APP is that you've got two programs. You've got program one, which is administration, and program two, which is land and tenor management. With respect to program one, Chair, what, what we have done is that because of our historical issues, weaknesses in relation to governance, and um, as a consequence of the audits that have come up over the past few years, we decided to consciously take issues that ordinarily would be in an operational plan lift it up to the, to the level of the APP so that they can be administered, so that, we, so that they can be monitored, so that we can demonstrate our, our willingness and our commitment to address those issues. What we have therefore done with respect to um, the output on, on the management for external internet auditive plans implemented, we have highlighted an indicator which talks to the percentage of external audit management action plans implemented. And we have aimed for 100% throughout. We've done the same with respect to internal audits as well. And I'm saying, Chair, these two outputs indicate, output indicators in particular, ordinarily would reside in an operational plan. But we have had to leave them up for the reasons that I've just articulated. We, we have made a commitment to obtain an unqualified external audit opinion. And indeed, we have achieved that in the year that, that, you, that, that, that you come from. And we intend to do so as we go forward. So we have therefore targeted that chair as, 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 as an indicator and, and throughout the year. Chair, we, we, we have a lot of stakeholders through which um, we have to perform some of our functions. And we've come to a conclusion that we, we need to develop a stakeholder engagement strategy um, that will help us improve in terms of how we interact with our stakeholders, how we collaborate on those things that we can't do alone as right. So Chair, we have therefore uh, targeted the development of a, of a stakeholder engagement strategy um, in, 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 the current, in the current year. Um, then Chair, what follows in the, next, uh, in the next slide are just quarterly targets. Um, then when we move to program two, Chair, um, we, we have always had this indicator of securing tenor rights on environmental treatment. This essentially chair has taken the form of literally leases that are approved by the board, as well as um, uh, in the main, it is this is chair. Maybe let me stop at that. So in terms of what we have targeted, we have looked at our level of performance over the past few years 
And we've looked at the implications of the judgment in relation to Kasak, and we have moderately targeted with respect to the current financial year, which is 800, which then increases over the next few um, financial years. We have targeted um, an update on the movable asset register of Ingonyama Trust. This is essentially how we have always targeted it. We're looking at four updates per year, which is actually once per quarter. We've targeted chair the capacity building for TCs. Um, we, we have said these things before, that Ingonyama Trust has got about um, 249 communities in terms of what is listed in the act. So ideally, we should be impacting on all these TCs. Um, but unfortunately, due to our resource constraints, we have, over the years, targeted far less. Though what appears in the current financial year appears as some kind of improvement, it is far less than what is required and, uh, and what is needed, because they play quite a critical role in the allocation of tenor rights, and therefore we have to ensure that they have an appreciation of the laws that apply, how the IT operates, and um, so, so that we avoid the possibilities of conflicts that emerge in these areas with respect to allocation of generals. The next indicator chair is the number of human segment plans approved by the board. These essentially chair are community land use plans, where a community looks at its land, looks at its potential, and then try to devise a plan in terms of how various parts of its land uh, can be used for, so that you arrest the possibility of unwarranted development in spaces where they shouldn't develop. So, so, so the same applies here. Um, uh, this should be at a much higher scale than what is targeted. But also, it also depends largely on our relationship with local government because essentially the local government function, though Ingoyama Trust has taken an active role because of its relationship and uh, with, with TCs, but we, we're hoping that as we grow in terms of interacting with municipalities, forming relationships, we can actually get to a point where we increase our performance or even local government take a much greater role than we do with respect to the development of these plans. So, so for now, we could only say we're targeting the six per, per financial year, which is far less than what, 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 what really is, 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 is possible. So what then follows chair are totally targets uh, per each one of these indicators. Um, we wouldn't, I suppose, Chair, we won't go to the budget as a consequence of the decision that has been taken by the committee. So this is where, Chair, I'll stop and, um, and, and, and then take questions that may arise. Thank you. Thanks, uh, CEO. Honorable members, that is the presentation on the APP by Ngwenyama Trust Board. I'm opening the floor for discussions.
Honorable Masachi. Thank you very much, Chair. <clears throat> um, Chair, let me take this opportunity to yet again um, greet yourself as the chairperson of the day, the minister, deputy ministers, as well as all members of the portfolio committee, including the um, Chair, when one looks at this particular APP in comparison to the previous APPs, one ought to really question the work and the intention of the board in relations to this particular matter. to clearly indicate that there isn't much to write home about. And the fact that the APP does not speak directly to the budget is equally a worrisome factor. Most probably, as this particular APP is presented to us, we can get clarity from the board itself over and above the fact that the minister will be writing to us to explaining her decision that the budget not be presented. Like I've said before, Slalo, when we're dealing with other APPs of other entities, there's no point in speaking to plans that are not funded. It is extremely highly irregular, but it would be important to get it from the horse's mouth, from the board itself, to really indicate what is the intention of presenting an APP that does not speak to finances. How are these plans, minimal as they are, going to be implemented where there are no finances. I've indicated previously um, that this is a story, an APP is a story, budget is a character, the executive is the producer in the literal terms of storytelling. Now we have just been told tales that will not necessarily translate into anything given that this particular tale is not funded. Now, in my view, I really do not get the narrative speaking from a strategic perspective in relation to the development of the APP. But maybe my question to Ingonyama Trust Board would be, had this APP passed you know, the, the, what we call the smart processes of developing an annual performance plan. Has treasury been, you know, 
an auditor general to a large extent, been consulted in the development of this particular APP. Will this APP, minimal as it is, translate into the objectives of Ngonyama transport? And will it be able, is it transformative in, in, in approach? Is it developmental in approach? Because when you look at it in all honesty, one is unable to get the jigs of those key critical issues in as far as transformation and developmental approach. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thanks, uh, Honorable Mashatsi, Honorable State. Yes, that I, I actually, I'm going to switch off my video chair. Sorry, I see my internet is very unstable. So maybe you having problems um, uh, hearing me. So I'm switching off my video. Sorry, yeah, Jay. Chairperson, yes. Yes. Jay, this is really very unregular. I don't know what to say much. We have been struggling with, the ITB board since um, the beginning. And it is, Chairperson, uh, I really believe that as a committee, we need to start discussing the process of why we have this board. I know there is a history and a political uh, context to this, but Chairperson, I do not think the board is playing the role it's supposed to be playing uh, with the communities um, that they need to serve. And my proposal would be, Chair, that moving forward, we look at discuss discussions uh, regarding um, this banning or getting that uh, law repealed or the legislation regarding uh, Ingonyama Trust. Chair, that is my, my feeling. I think we need to move uh, and get communities um, as part of, um, you know, being owners of the land themselves and the Ingonyama Trust can stay the, uh, you know, doing the work uh, of traditional councils uh, and that would be my proposal, Chair. I, I, I think we have given a lot of time uh, to the Ingonyama Trust to play a significant role, but it doesn't look like it's happening. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Stein. Honorable Kappa. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I'm also happy that maybe we agreed that we, this presentation must be done irrespective of the current situation. But I have, I have only one clarity. I might have, have to come with other questions later. But on this one, it's just I'm looking for the situation that explains to us that this major outcome of improving the tenure rights being a, an important outcome, is it something which is having some time span that it will come, come continue until such a time and then this land rights improvement of tenure rights will be done? or is something that at the moment seems to be permanent so that it can be able to, we can all understand also it, especially on the 
uh, quarterly targets and the annual targets. That's that experience in Antenuche. Thanks, uh, Honorable Kappa. Honorable Matthias. Well, thank you so much, uh, Honorable Chairperson uh, uh, Trappe. Well, we should have, at the point where the minister made a disclaimer on the status and the quality of the report which the board was about to present, that we should have, at that point, intervene and say, rather than to waste time of the committee to entertain a non-report, the board should not proceed, should not even attempt to make a presentation. In my broken Isizulu, as I am trying to learn the language, Honorable Chair, I will say, it's the greatest disappointment, is the greatest shame that an institution as big as this one, sustained by taxpayers' money to lift up the sorry state of our people in case they turn, fails to comply with the basic forms of compliance in terms of what should be done and come to appear before the committee unprepared like this. So my suggestion is that instead of further entertaining this matter, the board must be sent back to go and do its work. We have almost for more than seven years since I've been a member of parliament. Each time we have to consider the APP or any, any form of report from the Ngonyama Trust, that members have sounded like broken record. We sound like a broken record because we repeat the same thing again and over and over again. Secondly, we sound like a broken record because decisions of the committee are not taken seriously. We recommended that an inf- a forensic investigation should be undertaken into the affairs of the Nkonyama Trust, and that hasn't been done. And if no action is taken, no consequences management is applied in instances such as this. We promote a culture that we have seen in the Ngonyama Trust, a culture of disregard of laws, of disregard of anything that has got to do with the work of uh, 
the portfolio committee. I suggest that uh, we send them back with the most respect that we can accord to them, even in a situation where our respect to them is not reciprocated by the board and its leadership. We have been very kind with them and our kindness is responded to with this kind of an attitude. Thank you, Honorable Jay. Thanks, Honorable Matthias. Honorable Trete. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Good morning to the Minister, the Deputy Minister, and the NDT Ngonyama Trust representative that are with us today. Um, my apologies, Chairperson. Um, in the Bundus, <laughs> my network is unstable, so I would I would I would request that I don't switch on my video. Um, Chair, I've been. In fact, Chairperson, I don't have a comment today. Honestly, um, I've shared, I've had my, 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 my views on the entity uh, previously for quite a long time. I have no comment at all on the presentation before us today. I would prefer to reserve my comments, actually. Uh, I share the same sentiments with Honorable Matthias. So I would, I would humbly request that I, I reserve my comments. Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Trete. Honorable Briette. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Chairperson... <sighs> I've listened to the rest of my colleagues and, and Honorable Matthias's um, uh, suggestion. I, I differ in terms of that, Chairperson, but I want to second uh, what Honorable Slane has said, that we need to discuss this because, as we've mentioned multiple times, um, in terms of in terms of the board, in terms of the operation of the board, in terms of um, even just the annual targets and how, how that actually speaks to service delivery, if I can call it that, on the ground, and I think that um, you know, uh, you know, sending them back is not going to be the answer because we have sent ITB back multiple times, and we're not getting um, what us as a committee request, what us as a committee need. Um, we've saw different oversights where we've actually gone and interacted. We've now come from an OBPARC oversight chairperson, and I would like to suggest maybe that that is what we need to do. We need to have a face-to-face -face meeting, be it in Cape Town, be it in KZN, be it wherever, where we physically have a day or two days and we interact um, with the department, with ITB, and then go forward. Because chairperson, um, I to a large extent agree, we can ask questions and I don't think we're really going to get what we need. Um, so on that note, I think I'm covered by my colleagues. I just wanted to give my input as well. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Honorable Briet. Honorable Mbambama. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and um, greetings to both ministers who are with us today, which is quite nice for a change. 
Um, Chairperson, I don't want to parrot what has been said by uh, our colleague, my colleagues. I tend to agree with uh, most of the comments. And um, I'm not sure that um, the APP that is in front of us today is actually talking to unlocking rural land for development for the benefit of the people. We have had Ingonyama Trust for quite some time uh, over the years. And I have worked even in the past, uh, in, the, in the fifth parliament with Ingonyama Trust. And I'm sorry to say that we, ha- we as a committee have never been satisfied with what they have brought forward. And we have made suggestions as committee and those suggestions have been ignored. We've made recommendations, they've also been ignored. So honestly, I am of the opinion that um, what Stain and, and, sorry, Honorable Stain and Honorable Priet have said, we do need a face-to-face engagement once more with them in the hope that, um, you know, we can come to some kind of resolution. And I would also say that it is high time that the committee went and did oversight at ITB just to see what, what, what is happening, because um, I see that the CEO um, comes from the department, but I do not see a lot of change that is going on in terms of, um, do you know, the APP themselves and the budget not even being ready. So I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if the, the, the department being there and taking part in, in the board of the ITB, whether that is making any difference whatsoever. And even when I look at the, you know, the targets themselves, leases approved by the board, are we still doing leases as as ITB? That needs some kind of explanation. And when you talk of human settlement plans, what, what human settlement plans? What are we talking about here? What is it exactly? You know, you can talk about 20 human settlement plans or five human settlement plans, but what do we mean by human settlement plans? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, Chair, let me not uh, talk too much. I think we are on the same page mostly with our colleagues and uh, there is really no need to parrot what they've said. Thank you. Thanks, Honorable Mbagama. Honorable Noko. Masipa. Honorable Masipa. Uh, thank you, Chair. Good morning uh, to my colleagues and the Minister and the ITP. Uh, Chair, I think my colleagues really touched um, a lot of uh, issues, but I, maybe let me just uh, point a few things. Um, According to the National Treasury Framework on Strategic Plans and Annual Performance Plans, it is important that strategic plans and APPs are linked to budget to ensure that key objectives and priorities are budgeted for and achieved. So, Chair, I mean, we are receiving plans here, but we don't have really um, the indications of, of the budget. Um, I think that's number one um, a concern for me. But the, the second concern is the Mr. Nguenya, the chairperson of the board, in his remark, uh, 
um, on the uh, OTP uh, uh, board uh, statement indicate that there are conflicting and in some instances ill-founded expectation. Um, so if um, you know he can really explain to us what this um, uh, conflicting and uh, in some instances ill-founded expectations um, because uh, it seems to have developed quite a, a distrust uh, between the board chair and obviously the committee or the department. And uh, thirdly, obviously, the, the APP is, has got no funding here to support the work of the trust. I think, uh, yeah, I agree with uh, Member Bama that maybe we need to do an oversight visit and engage the ITP maybe to get a broader, you know, understanding of the issues because you know to come here you know with um, hands in the air to just say yes what we want to do but guys uh, there's some issues with you uh, we have got some uh, conflicting and uh, obviously ill-founded expectations that you expect from us uh, we can't really plan the budget you know so maybe the chair can just help in terms of clarify some of these points and uh, uh, Chair, like um, I said, I think, um, you know, it will be really important for this committee to really consider an oversight visit at the uh, ITB just to understand really the issues. Maybe, you know, when we're on the ground, uh, they become much better. I mean, we have seen during our oversight visit uh, that, uh, you know, things get much clearer and we get a better understanding as to what the issues are. Uh, there are a number of issues, obviously, that one can question, but really without budget, what's the plan without budget, really? This, it, it, it won't really materialize, you know. Um, it's not really a plan if it's not budgeted for. Um, one of my colleagues spoke about the SMART, you know, um, what are the specific and how much budget? Is it realistic? Can it be met, you know? So this that is uh, presented to us as a plan Chair, I believe that um, it's not really a plan that we can really support. Sure, we are going to debate, uh, but I doubt that, you know, there is anyone who's going to support this particular plan. Thanks very much, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Masikwa. Honorable Maso. Uh, Honorable Chair, thank you very much. Uh, and good morning to everyone uh, on the platform, our ministers, my chairperson of the day, thank you very much. Um, I don't have much to comment on this issue of Ngonyama Trust, specifically because uh, my own understanding is that we, we, we once had uh, one of the, one of the the committee, I mean, the involvement of the department by the office of the minister to go and assist the Ngonyama Trust. Um, and I don't think the Ngonyama Trust was supposed to come and present here because the financials are not as yet being presented by the minister, according to my understanding. I don't know whether I'm wrong, but I, I, I still need guidance. This is my home is where I can make wrongs and get rights. So I, I, I have no much to comment on this thing. It's just that um, I will suggest that um, the, 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 the leadership of the department as they lead all entities in the department must lead us, uh, help uh, Ngonyama Trust to do the right things. Uh, 
Ngwanyama Trust, what I wanted to say as a message to them is that, you see, there is this issue, Yagori, uh, you were formed in terms of the legislation of your own province. That is what you told us. Maybe that is why you don't listen to us. You were formed in terms of the legislation that were emanated from your own province. So you don't listen to anybody. Uh, you are also saying on the other side that we are, you are coming, you are going as politicians. Because if you don't listen to someone who is talking to you and say, do the right thing, and you don't do the right thing, so what do you expect us to say? We can't say dissolve because you are formed by a certain legislation. So I, I, I reserve my comments, but you heard me. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Honorable Marshall. Um, is there any other person that honorable member that I would have omitted? Doesn't look like uh, Oh yeah, honorable Kabekulu. I thought we received an apology from you. Have a bite, sir. Uh, the floor is yours, honorable. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Uh, I had an apology, uh, but a, a, a very late one. And unfortunately, uh, I, I have, I've been having a problem of my network here. So I just joined the meeting towards the, the tail end of, of the presentation. But uh, understanding the situation on how this uh, 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 ITP works in the areas, on the issues of land and, and, and tenure management. You know, this is a, a very wide uh, uh, way of, of, of dealing with things because the, 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 the presentation is, has been presented might uh, have me not have been uh, sort of uh, uh, followed well as, uh, as other members have been. But so far, I, I don't think I, I have any comments because of the understanding of, of the place where I come from in, in the province. The land here is dealt with by uh, Ngonyama where the, these tenure, tenure procedures are followed regarding the businesses and with, with, with the human settlement or, or the residences of, of, of the people in the areas, it's quite different. But I understand when some members have the view that uh, we need to maybe as a committee to see to that uh, we follow the approach of saying people should have been given a, a what do you call a private uh, ownership of, of the properties they have as the titles, if, if I may call it. But it's up to the committee then if it sees we need to go the route, even in the rural areas where spirit too but I, I I'm not disputing the the, the views of, of the committee but I'm just saying what uh, my understanding is from where I I, I I stand as a person from from the rural areas of KZN. but uh, thank you uh, chairperson for the opportunity I'm sorry for having not greeted the minister and the deputy and our members sorry sorry for that thank you thanks uh, honorable and thanks that you made it earlier on. We noted your apology. 
I think you were the last that is here today on the attendance register. Um, honorable members, let me also agree with the, the sentiment that says we need a physical meeting with ITV. We also need to do oversight. Probably then we should be able to go to the root of their challenges and be able to interact and also come up with plans of how, what needs to be done in order to assist this uh, uh, entity. It is true, Minister, that we've been having challenges ever since, year in, year out. But as, even if we can ask questions here, I don't think much can be done like honorable members are indicating that even the budget is not here. You have indicated that they put before you a budget deficit that you still queried also as ministry. I just want to check out of interest, Ingonyama has got only two programs. Do you have as ITB sufficient resources, including human capital to implement these programs? because uh, I was looking at your previous performance on the most important program that Honorable Tebeku is indicating of uh, <clears throat> land tenure management, that even your performance rating last year was a problem. You remained at zero for three quarters. You couldn't at, at, uh, achieve your targets. I know at some stage we had uh, your plans for 2025 or so, but you keep on changing your indicators even for this one year capacity training. So I agree that we really need to go back, collect our thoughts, put them together, look at your plans, look where we're coming from, where you're going, so that we are able to assist you. And this can only be done by this proposed oversight and physical meeting with uh, Ingonyama Transport. But, uh, let me ask this one that Ngwenye, the chairperson, does this plans that are put before us this one year in Kenya take into cognizance the court order? Because if for this year, we don't also flight what the court has ordered, I know that the minister has got a role to play in the we cannot close our eyes as this committee that is the support order against Ngonyama Trust that needs to be honored and it will be coming up very soon. What are your plans on that one? Let me hand over for you to comment and uh, respond to other questions that has been raised. ITB? Chair, most of what has been said, I'll leave it to board members. Thank you. Thanks, CEO, the chair, and the board members. Oh, and, okay, thank you, Chairperson, and board members, uh, the committee members, rather. Uh, I think, Chairperson, one need to record that uh, for years we get 
chided for no apparent reason on the work that we do. That the budget to date is deficit is not the first time. The budget of Ngonyama Trust has always been a deficit because the difference between what the government puts on the table has always been met by the trust monies which are supposed to go and do community projects. Only now that we insist under rigid requirements of accounting that the trust cannot subsidize the government. As I am currently speaking in the year and uh, in the past financial year, the allocation by the government to Ngonyama Transport was 24 million rand in a budget of close to 100 million rand. The salaries alone per month is 2.7 million. If you multiply that by 12, you'd notice that all the money that the government throws to Ngoyama Transport does nothing more than pay the staff and still require a shortfall to be met by the trust. So why we, it is expected that the people from the department will do anything better with no money, I can't understand. But these members who sit today, some for a longer period, have always noticed that the budget that comes from government is less than 30 million in a budget, combined budget of the trust and the board of about 100 million. So why we are called disrespectful? We are called all the names I don't know. It's quite clear because this budget is approved by the very members who sit here. Why they can't see that every year they give us less money than what the trust itself put as a bridging finance, I don't know. So I thought it is important that I put that on record. But maybe in responding to some of these questions, let me deal with what the Honorable Masipa has quoted from what I'm said to have said, the conflicting and unfounded expectations. Firstly, I don't think any of the members with respect here knows exactly what the Ngoyama Transport is supposed to do and what the trust is doing. Yet we get criticism. We are not the authority of the first call. The authority first rests with traditional leaders. Inko a member of this committee, is a classic example that unless his people and he require the Ngonyama Trust and the Ngonyama Trust Board to act, most of the things that happen with the land of the Pebekulus only remain with him and his traditional council. Even if this committee can have a face-to-face -face with Ngonyama Trust, it would be elevating Ngonyama Trust above the authority of the first order, which is Amakosi and their traditional council. That's where decisions are taken. As a board, we respond to the request by a traditional council to say, this member of this community wants to approach a bank to get a loan, we don't have documents. Only then do we act and provide these tenure rights in the form of leases. 
this member of this community want to apply for a liquor license, there is a need for proof of having site where the liquor license will trade. A mere paper from the traditional council is insignificant, does not get taken into account. Then they refer that person to Ngoyama Trust with their consent, which we call ITB2. Only on that basis does Ngoyama Trust Board activate its action. One, it will send an in-house surveyor, and that costs money. An in-house surveyor will travel with a car, which is owned by the trust, will fill in petrol. At some stage, you may have to sleep over, depending on the number of people whose sites must be surveyed. Because unsurveyed land is a recipe for conflict all the time. Our experience with the survey land is that the boundaries are always known because we've got them on record, even in the case of dispute, we can prove that this site was surveyed. The extent of so-and-so site is this amount. That is what we are doing on a daily basis. When we talk about tenure rights, we just don't simply write documents in the office and give to a person. We verify with the locals, is this correct? Within donor, is this the site allocated to Mr. So-and-so? Where does it start? We do coordinate. We come and plug it. We've got a GIS component in our offices. If it was once allocated, we are able to say you can't do double allocation. So this explanation, I'm also giving it in respect of the question of what are the human settlements. In terms of customary law, people get allocated land for whatever use. It could be government allocated as a site for school, for a clinic, for a police station. It could be a business person want to build a shop. It could be for residential purposes. These things need to be coordinated documentary through a professional system of GIS with the land surveyors. That is what we do. But I don't think that th those who read this and say this is less than what it could be and so on, understand what input gets into this exercise. So. I thought that I need to explain that the conflicting and therefore ill-founded expectations is predicated on the fact that somebody castigates you and tell you what is better from something that he or she knows nothing of. We are saying firstly, there are conflicting laws on the ground because traditional leaders are under cocktail in one breath. Land, on the other hand, is the competence of the minister presently in this meeting, the Honorable Minister A.T.D. Deezer. That's where land sits. Now you've got cocktail in one breath and you've got land <clears throat> minister on the other. Administering the two institutions that at the end of the day relate to land. The expectations are therefore not predicated on sound information because I am as yet to hear this committee and other related committees meeting His Majesty the King 
meeting Amakosi to understand how they administer land. Before you come to the ITB, ITB does that which is, it is asked to do by the traditional leaders. I hear the story about the intention to scrap this because the people can run the island. That is not my call. But you are not talking to the right people either. Talk to Amakosi, who are the administrators of the land. The act that creates Ngoyama Trust specifically says this, the land shall be administered in terms of Zulu customary law and other law. So it is therefore not correct for Honorable Maso to say we were created by a legislation that is created from our province. The original legislation was the homeland legislation of the Guazulu government. In 1997, it served before the democratic parliament. It was amended by the democratic parliament of which you are members. It is not the province of KwaZulu-Natal that did that, but it was the Republic of South Africa that amended Ngoyama Trust Act of 1994. So it is without substance, therefore, that with disregard instruction from this committee, I want to see one, because one member who says that there was instructions for conducting forensic investigation, that honorable member does not tell us where was that money, where was that budget, who should have carried that out. If the very budget over which these members exercise authority is deficient, cannot meet even the basic administrative requirement of the board. So what I am saying is sitting where I'm sitting, I am prepared at any given time to do whatever is legally permissible coming from this committee, provided that this committee also allocate the necessary resources. So I did not understand that there was a disclaimer by the minister, but the minister said she requests indulgence for further engagement with the board so that she has got a clearer picture of what is happening. Like I'm saying, it's not happening now. It has been so from time of the beginning because the parliament, even the original Wazulu government, which passed the act when it knew it was going out, never gave assent to the trust even before there was a board. Between 1994 at the inception of the trust and 1998, there was no budget for the board. So when the budget started, the board was conflated with the trust and was given a meager amount only to pay the bare expenses of the staff that was in place. So what I am saying then to the question from you, Chair, whether we've got the resources, human and otherwise or not, I am saying the very reason why we don't have the budget before you today is precisely that, that we are asking the minister to say, minister, we cannot divert trust monies to the board and then end up not meeting the expectations of the communities. Some of the communities that are hugely ravaged even by now, by the recent un unfortunate events of weather, are in Ngoyama Trust. Therefore, that is Ngoyama Trust infrastructure that has been affected. 
But where do we get money to do that if the board cannot function because the secretariat cannot be paid wages? So that is where we see chairperson as far as that is concerned. So I'm saying the comparison that was made by Honorable Matati with the previous uh, APP, I don't think that is a fair uh, assessment because we make assessment on the basis that henceforth this board cannot continue taking monies that are barely generated for communities for their own development and give it to meet that which should be met by the state first. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I heard what Honorable Stain and Honorable Mbamama said from the inception, they've been listening to us and, and uh, Matthias says that is a, uh, a crack record and so on. But until these members sitting here, in my respectful view, begin to understand firstly, what is the board, how much it gets, what can you do with 24 million when your own salary bill, let alone other things, is in excess of 30 million rand before you can even start doing anything else. No equipment, nothing. All the equipment, including cars of the ITP, belong to the trust because it has got inadequate resources from the government. Even if the government today were to circle the DG, you will have the same problem until the issue of budgeting of the Goyama Trust is resolved once and for all. So honorable members, I heard that the members are upset. It's not our own making, but if each and every member can go back and look from the inception, whether you have ever given adequate budget, you'll realize that there has, no budget, there has been no budget. The checks of land, the CEO has said this already. If you've got 249 traditional councils, some of them have got up to 100 members because of the size of their land. Those are the people we need to be interacting with physically, giving them training, how to administer the land, how to allocate land so that there is no clash because we receive a number of complaints from some people who say, I was allocated land and then subsequently it was allocated to another person. The revenue which traditional council also raise out of administration of land is supposed to be collected by Ingoyama Trust. But instead, where does it go? It go to the provincial quarter. We are saying for us to be able to engage in all those discussions, we need provincial quarter to understand that it's not its money that it is keeping. It is the money of the Ngonyama Trust, which in turn must go back to respective communities that collect that money. Those are some of the conflicts which the executive authorities in our view ought to be alerted to or to assist us. Now, let me come to this question about the court case. The court case made a number of findings which are dealt with legally, but the CEO has correctly pointed out that we are mindful of the court case. Right now, we're sitting with insurmountable pressure from people who are asking for residential leases, but we said until the court case is resolved, we're not going to deal with that. But there are people who want to build shopping centers, there are people who want to build all kinds of businesses. 
This has, does not impact on the court order because the court order did not make a finding on that. But the problem is that the board ends up doing more work to assist the staff because there is inadequate resources at play. So what we are saying is, yes, we still do talk about leases. We'll continue doing so. Leases are universal, but we respect that the court made its own finding in respect of certain species of leases. But we're saying it did not say all the leases by Ngoyama Trust cannot be issued. So we sit with that. There are people who want to build crashes. There are people who want to build private schools. There are people who want to build uh, community centers. There are people who are looking at building shopping centers, service stations, liquor outlets, and so on. Those people will continue issuing out leases, but we are constrained because of lack of resources. So as we see today with the budget, if we carry on with the deficit budget, there are two choices. We need to reduce the staff substantially so that we can only retain the staff that can be met by the budget that's available. But still, that budget that is available does not allow for traveling, does not allow for buying new cars, does not allow for buying equipment. Right now, I noticed that our GIS licenses have now expired in January. We only have one license. These days, we are even running sort of sometimes paper just to, to make copies because the budget is not great. For if we are being chided for not having money which we don't have custody of. Respectfully, I say I don't think that's a fair criticism. So I would welcome the, the meeting, as other members have suggested, between the board. But I've already indicated that please invite traditional leaders who are the first point of call. Those are the people who generate these ultimate leases by the people who seek security. I end up there, Chairperson, thank you. Thanks, uh, Mr. Nguyen. I gave you just ample time so that uh, you are able to deal with all the questions and comments. Um, I'm going to give the minister also to respond to some of the issues raised, but I see Honorable Stenio Hendrickson, or was it a legacy hand? You have lowered it. Honorable Mashati, your hand is also up before Minister, so that he may cover probably what you want to raise. Yes, Chair, thank you very much. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you could take the minister's response because I wanted to to raise my question to the ministry. Can I proceed, Chair? Proceed. I will also note others before the minister comes in. I saw Honorable Stain earlier oh, when yeah. I see the rank of Honorable Matthias is also on. Honorable Mashati, proceed. Mashati. We'll go back to her, Honorable Stain. Chairperson, sorry, I still leave my um, video off because of poor. All right. 
Jay, I, I wanted to raise the point of order when the, the chairperson of the board spoke. Uh, I really don't think, Jay, it's going to help to tell this members that we don't know what the work of the Ingonyama Trust is. Our work is to, to play oversight over the board. And if we don't get the reports and we don't get the financials and we get a very, very poor um, annual performance plan, it is our role to say what we think. So, Chairperson, I did not appreciate the comments made this morning. We know our work and our work is to play oversight. So, Chair, I stick to my original um, proposal and I would propose that we discuss it in future in this committee and I will write to the chairperson that we have a discussion about that and if we need to go to KZN to discuss legislation and what is going on, um, that is time that we do it, Chair. We have given lots of time for the Ingonyama Trust to come and make presentations. Um, if they cannot manage what they need to do, Chair, we need to re-look um, their role. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Honorable Stein. Honorable Mashatze, can the CEO please rem uh, take off the presentation from the screen? Mashatze? Thank you very much, <clears throat> Thank you very much, Chair. I, I, I also wanted to, to really raise the same sentiments um, who've been in this portfolio. Um, raising almost the same issues and ready for the board leadership to really insist on the fact that um, members of the portfolio committees are clueless in terms of what the board does it's a quite a unfair statement coming from the board. Um, but what I wanted to raise earlier was to ascertain ourselves as a portfolio committee, whether the interventions that have been made by the ministry with the secondment of officials of the department to Gonyama, has it yielded any positive results from the ministry's uh, perspective? Because it seems to me like we're moving from bad to worse. And what then becomes the view of the ministry around these particular issues? Because at some point, the issue of <laughs> the last part, Chair, if Honorable Matthias can mute, is the fact that it's unfair for the board to say if we want to meet with them, we must go and meet certain you know, traditional leaders, you know, because ours is to do oversight on the board. If the board feels otherwise, because then now they are an executive authority of this particular entity. And if they're going to tell us who we should meet before we meet them, it's unprecedented. 
And I think we ought to put it clear that it, it, it doesn't work like that. That's why Amakos are not coming here into the portfolio committee to account on behalf of the board. That's why the chair and the executive of the board is the one that is coming here. We ought to ready to put the roles and the responsibility in proper perspective, respectfully so. So that our, when we make comments in relation to Ngonyama Trust, is these are not emotional inputs. The emotional, the inputs based on the realities and what we see on paper. And the fact that Ngonyama Trust is now, in literal terms, telling us that it's not going to operate, it's not going to submit. Maybe we must get guidance whether I'm going to pass this APP or not, because from where I'm standing, really, it gives leaves much. It leaves much to be desired. Thank you very much, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Mashati. Honorable Matthias. Well, thank you, Honorable Chair, once more for the opportunity. Well, firstly, Chair, when we make contributions and inputs in the committee and recommendations. These recommendations are not directed to the board, but are made solely to the ears of the minister, the deputy ministers and administration. That's the first point. Secondly, if we're not to make the kind of imputes and comments that we make as members of parliament so that we sound relevant to the board or we sound well versed and pretend as if all is well, it will be nothing else but a derelation of duty on our part as uh, elected public representatives. We speak here on behalf of all South Africans, regardless of their titles, regardless of the stations that they occupy in society, whether they are commons, the laymen, the ordinary folks, they are men and women from the royal arrangement, we speak for all of them and we exercise the responsibility vested in us to speak truth to power. So we have said in the past and will continue to repeat this, that the Ngonyama Trust Board, just like any entity that reports to the portfolio committee must do its business, its operations and conduct itself consistent with the prescripts of the law. Should they do that, there would be no need for us to sound like as if we are against the board. All what we ask them is to play by the, by the rules. We don't 
anticipate of them to make an impression in us that they would prefer a parallel system in a democratic dispensation. The state so far is legitimate. The government is legitimate, is voted by majority of our people. We, we live and do business and all what we do under an atmosphere of legality. There's no need for para, pluralism or rather parallel institutions that seeks to undermine the state. So we, we implore upon the board not to create an impression that they are seeking to create a parallel system and structure of accountability where they do as they please, they do as they will with impunity. So let's have these meetings, these processes to engage and to find one another, but it should not be business as usual at some point. At some point, there should be consequences for non-compliance. And we have repeatedly said in the past, let there be serious investigations to get to the bottom of where the problem is with the Ngonyama transport. We implore upon the minister and deputy ministers, just do as we are asking you to do, because your failure to act emasculates not only the administration of the department, but also the powers vested in the portfolio committee, portfolio committee to ensure that agencies such as Nkonyama Trust do as they're supposed to do. So the fault is not only with the Ngonyama Trust, but it's also with the office of the minister, the deputy ministers and the administration as a whole. Minister Tokotitiza, we're appealing on you take action so that uh, this thing doesn't repeat itself going forward. Thanks, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Thanks, uh, Honorable Matthias. Honorable Kappa. Thank you, Chair. Am I audible? Am I audible, Chair? Yes, Honorable. Okay, thank you, thank you, Chair. Uh, I'll just make simple, simple questions. One, first, let me state that we don't have to regret the situation that they, we agreed to meet, that minister requested, because maybe the cat would have been in the bag for too long. Now, I would like to put this question that does the department absolutely need the existence of this entity for them to perform their duty best? Despite the legislation, besides the legislation, I tell now in the, in the fact that in the situation that the department is working, do they absolutely need this to perform their duty? Does this does does or does the minister need this entity? Because that will also take us to another question: of is there any proof of evidence that there's a need of existing existence and budget for this? Because 
the budget will be justified by the needs that we are talking about. Because at the end of the day, when the, the needs are stated, there will be evidence now that this plan is worth to be, to be given budget. I would like just to get to clear on that part that there's absolutely necessity that I, I insist besides the legislation, but and there's need of the department. I just want only that one chair because uh, I don't think it's assisting us, the lecture that we are getting from the chairperson, uh, where I'm getting enough uh, evidence of uh, ability to give rulings and judgments, which I don't think it is absolutely called for in this meeting. I tend to get clarity on this one. I thank you. Because I don't want to give uh, my opinion at the moment until I get clarity and understanding. I think. Thanks, Honorable Topa. Honorable Masipa. Uh, thanks, Chair. Uh, Chair, I think my question, uh, my follow up question is very simple. I think the uh, chair of Ingonyama Trust indicated, you know, issues that um, he has got um, quite uh, concern with regards to us as the members. Um, I also agree with um, Honorable Stain that we are here to do oversight. And I think I just want to add that we are lawmakers as well. If there are issues that uh, the chair of the Ngonyama Trust feel that there are areas that us as lawmakers can really uh, make changes, you know, where it would really assist the Ngonyama Trust to execute uh, their task, you know, uh, I think he's welcome to use this platform really to engage us on this pieces of legislations that are making, you know, their job very, very difficult. Hence, I'm also, you know, arguing that, you know, we probably need to uh, visit uh, Ngonyama Trust. And I think uh, the point of uh, the COCTA and obviously the Department of Agriculture and Reform and Rural Development having a, a big stake in terms of the administration and uh, Obviously, the ownership of the land is also very, very important. Um, maybe you know, uh, the chair can really assist us uh, if there are laws that need to change so that, you know, we can really be able um, uh, to kind of support the, uh, them in executing their tasks because we cannot really be sitting here, you know, uh, every time we engage in going to trust their issues, you know, um, and uh, there seems to be, you know, um, counter accusations all the time. So my view is that, you know, it is very important that the Gonyama Trust also, you know, when they come here, they also speak to us in terms of what kind of legislation, what law do we need to change in order to really support them effectively, because we are not here, you know, to come and um, uh, give them uh, lashes, but also, you know, to support them in doing their task. Thanks, Chair. Um, thanks, uh, Honorable Masipa. Let me hand over to the Minister, Honorable Didiza. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson of our session today, as well as members of the Portfolio Committee, members of the ITB, 
and uh, senior officials that are present. Chairperson, I think the matter that has been uh, raised about the need for the committee to have an engagement with the board is important. And I must say that one of the issues that has been raised by Honorable Stain, and I may not quote her verbatim, the issue about Ingonyama Trust and its origin and what was its purpose becomes very important in my view. Because if you look at the initial legislation that set up the trust, which was uh, done prior to 1994 by the then Guazulu government. It was really its intention, I may just be quoting it uh, literally without being legal, to actually protect land where the Zulu nation resided. So basically you have got a corporate entity, if I may call it that way which houses all of this land under the trusteeship of the king of the Zulu nation. In 1994, this legislation was then endorsed by the then RSA government, which affirmed the existence of Ingonyama Trust. So all of the land under the Ingonyama Trust is actually under the trusteeship of the king. And therefore it's a corporate entity if I were to call it that way. In 1987, the democratic parliament set out a legislation to form the board in order to assist the trust, particularly the trustee in his management of this asset. And I think this is where the issues in my view um, become a bit challenging about the role and place of the board, its extent, and therefore what capacity does it need and budget vis-a-vis -vis the income that accrues to the trust land where, you know, you've got various communities. And I think this is where the issue, you know, in my view is a challenge. One of the issues that you would recall for some time was the access of this committee and the ministry in actually understanding the resources of the trust, which accrues from whether mining rights or leases or whatever, which the chairperson says it's for the development of the communities. And if that's the case, should those resources for the management of that land not come also in part from the resources of the trust? The chairperson is saying the trust money can't you know, subsidize the work of the board. And I think this is, in my view, a misnomer, and this is what we need to reflect on. Because on one hand, you have got resources that go to the trust, 
for the development of communities. And then you have got the resources from government to actually support the board in assisting the trustee in managing the land. And I think this is where part of my discussion and the board has been around the utilization of the resources, both of the state and of the trust in the management of this land. The chairperson, for instance, he says the capacity of the board, particularly its secretariat, is limited. He says because of the work they must do, they must have in-house surveyor, in-house you know, geomatics. And I think these are some of the issues. I'm not contesting whether this must be or must be not, but I think these are the issues in my view that I don't think had been canvassed enough to say when we created this legislation of the Ngonyama Trust Board in 87 to assist the trustee in the management of Ngonyama Trust land, what did we envisage would be the structure of this board and its responsibility in that management role? Should the capacity that we're talking about not be located in the trust? So these are the issues. And you will recall, honorable members, that at some stage there were tensions between Auditor General as well as Treasury and the board about the auditing of the resources of the trust and the board, which you know, for a long time was a toing and froing. And I think beyond the other legislative matters that the chair is referring to, at the heart of it all, Chairperson, I think in the discussion that correctly is being requested by the members of the portfolio committee, these are the matters in my view we will need to reflect on. Because they are at the center of what we are deliberating on today. The chairperson says, if members go to KZN for their oversight, then they need to call Amakosi. I'm not disputing that, but is that how in the envisaged legislation of 1987 was how the board was supposed to function? So chairperson, I'm none the wiser but I'm saying these are the matters that I've been grappling with, with the board, looking also at what should be the role of the board vis-a-vis its support in the management of this land of the trust, you know. So I agree, Chair, with the recommendation that firstly, I will write to you in respect of the budget, but secondly, agreeing that there must be this meeting and an engagement. And for me, that engagement will help all of us to even re-examine the various statutes that the chairperson is reflecting to, and most importantly, the 1987 uh, legislation that set up the board and its responsibility. Thank you very much, Chair. Thanks, uh, Honorable Minister, Honorable Members. I think we have deliberated enough 
on this item. ITB, like we started, has not been able to table the budget despite us having returned them from the previous meeting. And the minister is indicating that she's um, engaging the IATV on this regard because the budget that was put before her is in deficit. And this has been attested by the chair of the board that this budget is always in deficit. However, we have agreed that um, despite all this process being irregular, Let's listen to ITV, let them present their APP, which they have did two programs that we have uh, deliberated on. We are agreeing at the end, honorable members, that we would need a session, physical one with ITV. We would need to do an oversight at uh, ITV. And uh, for our record, we will not shy away as this committee to play oversight on the resources that ITB gets allocated. The minister is indicating that allocation is done, uh, ITB to you, to administer land, also to develop communities. And this is our interest. You need to account whether it's how little that government gets uh, is allocating to you. That is our interest. We will play a role on that and hold you accountable on that. So having said that, we will await to minister your written uh, response on this uh, budget issue so that other processes can unfold of you presenting or us debating your budget, your APP including budget and those of entities. But uh, please forward that uh, written explanation to us. And uh, that is how we will wrap up today's interaction with ITB on the fact that we will plan an oversight, we will go and engage them. And like honorable members have indicated and the minister has emphasized that we have no business for now to go and, in, and engage with the traditional leadership. Our interest is on the entity that we are playing oversight on. That will bring us to the end of your session with the ITB. We're moving on with the agenda. I think we can release them so that we go to the next item for this meeting. ITB, you are excused. Thank you, Chairperson. Have they left the platform that we go to our next item on the agenda? Honorable members, the next item that we dealing with is on um, public hearings on the Agricultural Produce Agents Amendment Bill. And we having uh, stakeholders that are here to make submissions. We will start with the submission by 
Fresh Produce Exporters Forum, FPEF, Mr. Atten Kruger and Mr. Lezen Brink are here to make the submission. That is uh, our item on public hearings on Agricultural Produce Agents Amendment Bill. Mr. Kruger. Uh, good morning, Minister, uh, Deputy Minister, Acting Chairperson, as well as members of the committee. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Kruger, uh, yes, this is a... Mr. Kruger, please uh, adjust your video. We can only see your mouth, the lower part of your face. You can see your full face. If that's correct. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. So yes, as I've said, um, it is very important for us to, to be here and to do this presentation. We've submitted more than 50 written uh, documents, submissions on this APA amendment bill. Um, just a bit of background um, on the industry and on the Fresh Produce Exporters Forum, and then we'll come to the discussion of the bill. If I can have the screen share option, please, the permission for that. Let me just see um, if I can, uh, whether the secretary or someone just give me the um, authority, the permission to do the screen share. I see it's disabled still. While you're looking at that, let, let me just give you the, some background on the FPEF. Uh, we're a membership-based uh, industry association, non-profit company. So we represent 95% of all the fresh produce export volumes from South Africa. Uh, we'll never be 100%. The reason being that we don't allow everybody to become a member because we have very strict membership criteria uh, due diligence, credit checks, in order to protect the integrity and the credibility of the FPF and to a large extent then the reputation of South Africa and the South African fresh produce um, export industry. So we have a strict code of conduct that also needs to be signed and we also require all our members who need to register with APAC to be APAC registered. And if you look at our mission statement, it also says we promote the sustainable, profitable, yet disciplined fresh produce export industry. And that shows you, I think, our commitment and the realization. Mr. Kruger, yes. Mr. Kruger so you are now able to share your presentation, your submission. You are enabled. Thank you very much. So you can see it now? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, so I see, you know, and, and so we really are very concerned and we realize the importance of the discipline in the industry to show that we take uh, regulation uh, seriously, but regulations must also take into account the free market system in which we operate since the deregulation of the agricultural industry. And I think this is just to show again uh, this picture here 
of the environment in, in which we operate. Just a, a quick overview of the importance of why we are sometimes more concerned about certain parts of leg legislation, regulation that we need that, to ensure that that must also take into account the importance of the industry. Just a broad overview of the structure. So you see there in the corner, the FPF, Fresh Produce Exporters Forum, and then we have the Grower Associations, Citrus Growers Association, Berries, Subtrop, that would be your avocados, mangoes, lychees, etc. Hort Grow, Deciduous Fruit, Apples, Pears, Plums, Peaches, Sati, South African Table Grapes. So these associations together came, we came together, we established Fruit South Africa as an umbrella organization to be the voice uh, of the industry as well in matters where it's uh, cross-cutting, uh, uh, affecting everybody. Just some information on the exports, uh, fresh fruit, we're only talking about fresh, is 35% of South Africa's agricultural exports. South Africa is the second largest exporter of citrus in the world. We're the largest, largest southern hemisphere exporter of fresh fruit by volume, 33%. We export around about 3.4 million tons to more than 100 countries, value of close to 60 billion rand, and employment 300,000 jobs in the industry. If you look at the NDP in that uh, second quadrant there, you can see the importance of avocados, um, nectarines, plums, prunes, citrus, mangoes, table grapes, uh, even vegetables, apples, pears, bananas, lychees. Um, and also peaches and apricots there. So that is a really an important industry for the country and for the economy. There you see the, the regions that we export to, the percentages, and the forecasts by 2025 from about 3,2 to 3,4 million tons, now to 3,6 million, and the growth dependent on, obviously, in South Africa, land, water, infrastructure, ports, road, rail, electricity, cold stores, an important and enabling regulatory environment. The export value chain, just to show um, very briefly how complex that is. Um, so from the orchard, when the fruit's been picked, harvested, going to the packhouse, inspections be conducted by either the PPECB, Perishable Product Export Control Board, or Dalrat, to the cold store, another inspection, you see transporter, transfer, the loading onto the vessel, the import port in the destination country, discharge, inspection, cold store, distribution center, inspection, supermarket. So this process from when the fruit's been harvested until it gets here to the consumer is at least 40 days, four zero days. And now with, you know, about the delays in South African ports um, and also some of the other international delays due to COVID, this 40 days now sometimes extend to 80, 90 days, some days more. Some, and that has got a big impact also on some of those regulations um, and points being drafted into the APA amendment bill. So coming to the bill, I think you've seen the co-presenter would be Luzanne Brunk. Um, she's our legal <coughs> expert and legal advisor. So the reason why she's here is that we initially contracted a senior counsel to do the presentation, also because of a lot of legal requirements. 
Uh, and we've requested the committee to give us at least 30 days notice of when these public hearings will take place. Uh, we've put that in writing. Obviously, it was not done. We've only received this information and the invitation last Monday evening at uh, 7 o'clock when the long weekend already started with, for some people. So, and our senior council obviously is not available at such short notice. And uh, officially, we want from the FPF side that our dissatisfaction with this be recorded and be minuted. Because this is a very serious bill that can, it does have the opportunity to destroy 60% or plus of our markets if it's been accepted as is currently. So we officially want to raise our dissatisfaction. It must be recorded and minuted the sh uh, short notice period then, and also then disabling some people to have been part of that. Um, just some background as well from the FPF side, as was mentioned, our focus on discipline. We've been involved with APEC since 2012. Um, regularly, initially on drafting the rules for export agents. Um, then that was published um, without taking into consideration quite a number of the aspects that we've raised. And it was quite a bit of surprise to have seen it uh, gazetted. Uh, after we've been waiting for the promised final round of consultation. But we kept on engaging because we realized again the importance of being part of this. So when this um, amendment bill came to the fore now, so we've then again consulted with APEC. We do have three uh, representatives on the council for the export agent category. And with this now, I want to hand over to our legal advisor, Ms. Luzon Brunk, to take us further through some of the technicalities uh, of the board. Thank you, Ms. Um, Brunk. I don't know if you've got the ability now to share your screen. Let me see. Okay, thank you, Anton. Um, good morning, Minister, Deputy Minister, Acting Chairperson and Committee Members. Um, thank you for this opportunity. Um, as Ant Anton mentioned, we just want to take you through a few key points um, of the amendment bill. This will be in addition to the written submissions that we made previously. The purpose of the bill was described as protection of farmers, promotion of market access, and to ensure a level playing field for agents. We submit that this is not what the bill will achieve. Instead, it will lead to an increase in red tape it will increase costs across the value chain, it will reduce market access and limit competition, 
and it will skew the playing field for agents and farmers. Why do we say that the bill will achieve the opposite? Both the Act and the bill was drafted with local market agents, defined in the bill as fresh produce agents, in mind. However, this is fundamentally flawed as export agents and local fresh produce agents operate on a completely different basis. The only factors in common between a local and an export agent is that they both deal in fresh produce and they both act on behalf of farmers. But this is where the similarities end. All the other factors are different, including the logistical chain, Anton illustrated that in his previous slide, where it goes from the farm, the packhouse, transportation, ship, importer, retailer, ultimately the customer, which is completely different from what happens on a local municipal market. The price determination is different, and it can be different on each separate sale. It could be based on a consignment sale, meaning that the producer will receive what is achieved in the market. It could be on a fixed price basis where the producer is promised a certain fixed price and the agent will then take the risk of a different price being achieved in the market. It could be based on a minimum guaranteed price where an agent will promise a producer a certain minimum price, again, taking the risk of any fluctuation in the market. Sometimes first advances are paid to producers where export agents lend money in advance to producers to assist them to get their um, harvest off. And sometimes they make payments on behalf of farmers, all of which then need to be the, recovered from the final price. There are currency and exchange rate risks and fluctuations which do not apply in the local market. Payment terms are based on so-called INCO terms, which are the international trading terms. For example, FOB stands for free on board, DIP, CIF is cost insurance and freight. And this can all be different depending on what the agreement is with the specific farmer. All these terms also make provision for different risks in each case. There are export specifications, inspections, and specific market requirements depending on where the products are going to. There are inspections on departure and on arrival. The quality claim and claim notification processes and time periods are different, and risk, once again, is different. The increased requirements and costs will be passed on to farmers. Export agents, when they act as agents, act on behalf of farmers, meaning that any additional cost to export agents will, uh, will relate to, will, will cause additional costs to farmers. Export agents and our local farmers compete in export markets with countries with much less red tape than our own. For example, the requirement to obtain credit insurance in countries where credit insurance is not available or prohibitively expensive will immediately reduce up to 40% of the markets that we are currently serving. 
fidelity fund contributions and provision of security cannot protect against non-paying importers, which should be the biggest risk. It's also not clear how the contributions will be calculated. Will it be based on foreign currency or local? Will it be on all markets or only some? Clarity is required in that regard. The protection against unethical export agents is not clear, and it's also not clear what drove the need for this change. What is the history of such claims in a self-regulated industry, as Anton explained, where many of these claims are dealt with by the FPF? This bill does not promote a level playing field. Local fresh produce agents, export agents, and livestock agents operate under different circumstances, and it is impossible to apply the same rules to all. Agents with more resources will be able to financially afford to comply with additional administrative burdens, the registration process, and expensive training and exams. And agents with little or no resources, like emerging agents, will not be able to comply. And in instances where producers would have chosen to rather deal with a small agent, this will not be possible. Certain agents operate on both the local and export markets and will now be required to comply with two sets of rules. There are no threshold or minimum supply volumes to deal with this situation. There are also no distinction, distinction where there are different entities for a farmer, packhouse, and the export agent. And in some cases, all those entities are owned by the same shareholders. And now these requirements will apply to all of these entities. It is our submission that the bill results in higher barriers to trade instead of promoting and enhancing ethical, economic, and business practice. Another example is that the auditing requirements of the bill is stricter than the Companies Act. In terms of the Companies Act, not all companies are required to audit and in certain instances only have to subject itself to an independent review. In this bill, there is no such distinction, meaning that even small companies that would otherwise only be able to independent review has to, at huge additional cost, submit itself to an audit. In terms of the Companies Act, an audit is required to be completed within six months of the financial year. This bill requires four months. Other primary concerns is that the bill of 2012-2013 has remained largely unchanged despite the previous withdrawal. The definitions of agent, fresh produce agent, and export agent is unclear and in some instances incorrect. The registration, training, and examination process is too cumbersome and expensive and will limit the access to new emerging farmers and agents. The producer trust account requirements are also unclear, specifically taking into account payments made for and on behalf of farmers by export agents. As Anton said, the, age, the, the industry does support regulation um, and do not want to oppose regulation. However, the bill in its current form cannot succeed. Our solutions that we would propose 
would be number one, to draft new legislation aimed specifically at export agents only. And this should replace the existing act and the rules in respect of export agents in its entirety and not to attempt to copy and paste rules applying to local agents, to export agents. In this legislation, the definitions of agent, fresh produce agent and export agents must be clarified. The obligation to comply with both local rules and export rules should only apply if an export agent exceeds a fixed threshold of volume supplied locally. The registration requirement should only apply to the export agent entity and not also the individual directors, members, or employees. And we suggest that they be issued with compliance certificates or certificates of good standing. We also suggest that the training and examination to be charged only once per export agency instead of for each individual director or representative each time an examination is taken. The audit requirements should be in line with the Companies Act. And finally, issues such as compulsory insurance, contribution to the funds, fixed payment terms, etc., should be left to the agent and the farmer to set out in a written agreement instead. Thank you. Thank you, Mebrink. Honourable members, that is a presentation from uh, FPEF. You can uh, lower your presentation as we take the next presenters. We will engage uh, after the second presentation. Thank you. Our next submission, honorable members, is by the chairperson of the export subcommittee of APEC, Mr. Halderblom. Good morning, uh, Minister Dediza, Deputy Minister, Acting Chair, committee members, and all affected role players and stakeholders. Um, Chair, if you can possibly just allow me to share my screen. Please allow Michael Dorblom to share his screen. Um, thank you very much. Um, an overview of the Agricultural Products Agents Council, um, who we are, um, how we were instituted and legislated. Um, we were promulgated in accordance with Section 9 um, of the Act of 1992 and as amended by the Act number 37 of 2003. Our objective is to regulate the occupations of fresh produce, export and livestock agents, along with maintaining and enhancing the status and dignity of those 
as well as the integrity of persons practicing those occupations. By enforcing the rules in respect of fresh produce agents, export agents and livestock agents, as issued in terms of Section 10 of the APA Act 12 of 1992. The Council has legislated and operates under the directive of the Minister of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries and consisting of subcommittees representing all three divisions, namely livestock, fresh produce, and exports. Um, apologies, I'm just trying to grab my screen here. Composition of my submission focuses on six main points. Deregulation and trade reform, agricultural reforms, regulatory framework, but the industry and here with my proposal. The act in its current state lacks absorption capacity and practical implementation within the export industry and international trading platforms. To propagate the deregulation and trade reform on the South African agricultural sector, which was implemented by the Marketing Amendment Act 188 of 1993, commenced 5 January 1994. I think these dates are quite relevant and should be considered as a whole with regards to the paradigm shifts experienced in our industry since the inception of the Act. The current composition of the Act circumvents any further progress within both the export, local and livestock compositions. My aim is to circumvent regression um, as was experienced with the retraction of the previous bill in 2012, whereby city of 35 sections was due for amendment and did not pass master. In support of SONA 2022, underlining the restrictions of red tape to our economy and people, and quoting our dear President Cyril, we are going to support massive growth in local production and make South African exports much more competitive. A vital part of growing our industry efforts are the sectoral master plans, which bring all partners together. To agree on specific Lizard? measures. Yes. Sorry, there's a background noise where you are. I don't know if there's a television or radio that is on. We're having an I do echo apologize. Um, yes. I'll see what I can do about that. If you can just hold quickly. Yes, you can continue. I can share that better. Continue. We'll we'll, we'll track it. Thank you. Still there. There's still an All echo. Right. Continue. Okay. A vital part of growing our industry 
efforts are the sectoral master plans, which brings all partners together to agree on specific measures to improve productivity, investment, and competitiveness. Yeah. Agricultural reforms and trade liberalization. Uh, yeah, South Africa's agricultural sector is highly dualistic, consisting of a developed commercial and subsistence farming sector. The implementation of the Marketing of Agricultural Products Act of 1996 resulted in the deregulation of the South African fruit industry in October 1997, which led to a significant change in composition and trading platforms. Reforms of agricultural marketing structures and trade liberalization have been a major feature of agriculture in South Africa over the past three decades. And by 1997, all controls had effectively been cut adrift. With the closing of agricultural control boards, phasing out of most important export controls, elimination of subsidies, and introduction of tariffs and their subsequent reduction. The key feature of post-1994 trade policy in South African agriculture has been the replacement of direct controls over imports and exports. Exercise in terms of the Marketing Act of 1968 by tariffs and the lowering of those tariffs below the bound rate agreed to in the Marrakesh Agreement of 1993. The aforementioned led to the independent decision-making regarding the marketing of export products by a host of producers and exporters alike. Mainstaying the establishment of the NAMC, which is the statutory body with its mandate captured in four core divisions, agribusiness development, agricultural trusts, statutory measures, and the Markets and Economic Research Center. Deregulation challenged the inflexible single-channel fruit pooling marketing structure of the past and exposed domestic producers and exporters to the competitive global fruit market. By implication, this translated into a need to become globally competitive, growing our market share, and influencing the optimization of the value chain with a fundamental interest in lower costs and improved market access. Below illustrates the regulatory framework already in place with regards to the export and the trade markets we enter. Current legislation in place is the Agricultural Pests Act, the Product Standard Act, the Liquor Products Act, Plant Improvement Act, Plant Breeders' Rights, Genetically Modified Organisms, the Meat Safety Act, Animal Diseases, APA, and International Agreements. Export management is controlled and monitored by two entities, namely PBCB and DALAR, whom both oversee their respective directives of quality inspections cold chain management and certification under PBCB, phytosanitary duties, quality assurance and food safety, along with phytosanitary certificates under Department of Agriculture. Most important role player, which I think has been excluded uh, from consideration in this regard is the South African Revenue Services which plays a vital role in constituting exporter registration, customs and excise. 
exporter registration procedure. I've uh, referenced the extracts to sites. Any person, local or foreign, who wishes to export goods from South Africa must register as an exporter, including for the exportation of continuous transmission commodities. Um, in layman's terms, in transit or bonded warehouse cargo. Any foreign exporter who wishes to export goods from South Africa must register as an exporter and nominate a registered agent located in South Africa before such foreign exporter will be registered to export goods from South Africa. The reference to a registered agent uh, for explanation may be um, a freight forwarder or logistics agent who in itself needs to be registered with due authorities as well. I uh, would like to reiterate the reference again here to agents for going forward. Such nominated registered agents must assume full liability for the acts of a foreign principal in relation to any business activity with customs. There are two types of exporters, local exporter and foreign exporter. With previous reference to SAS, the illustration with regards to an export entry with declaration is submitted to SAS, passed and released accordingly. In the export environment, an exporter is required, um, or for reference to the act, an export agent is required to pass the customs entry uh, previously named the DA153, declaring the cargo, the value, consignment details, recipient, and mode of transport, as well as the terms of sale. Terms of sale are classified according to INCO terms, uh, which was reviewed in 2020, 11 of which applicable. Um, there are two parties involved, which is basically the seller and buyer. For our reference, the seller would be the producer and the buyer would be the exporter. It is clearly in, illustrated in INCO terms, which is rules developed by the International Chamber of Commerce and created as an industry standard to facilitate international trade and to interpret the trade terms that the parties to a contract of sale could agree on to apply. The act itself originated for the need to regulate fresh produce agents trading on the municipal market. And at time of being instituted did not compensate for agricultural reform and trade liberalization. There has been a multitude of legislature and regulatory frameworks, as illustrated previously, both locally implemented and internationally constituted and regarded after the act's promulgation and since deregulation. Aforementioned governing the export trade. Furthermore, the following points elaborating the unequivocal presentation that the current form of the Act does not underwrite deregulation nor promotes the South African mixed economy, which is predominantly based on free market principles. Maritime insurance. Um, for your guide, uh, I've referenced the various sections in the Act, uh, whether it is for amendment on the bill, or still in existence on the original Act of 1992, reviewed in 2003. INCO terms as applied to exports and required to be declared with South Export Entry clearly defines the transfer of risk and specifically references maritime insurance. As it stands, maritime insurance 
excludes force majeure instances with international trade and export events over the past two years that has irrevocably shaken the industry and resulted in the loss of millions. Um, examples of just over the last two years is the uh, Transnet cyber attacks, Durban riots, Eastern Europe, current geopolitical situation, and the vessel which was sanctioned where the captain unfortunately passed away and all cargo on board remained such for 80 days in transit. There are no delay cover currently in existence, which was retracted by majority or actually all of the underwriters for marine insurance since the inception of COVID-19. The requirement for credit insurance as to the amendment bill. Applying a blanket requirement for credit insurance will restrict market access and adversely lead to the closure of pivotal export markets attributing to approximately 50% of South African product programs. With specific reference to payment terms as for the amendment of section 22 of the act, export platforms and subsequent payments relating to the international trade of goods is based upon the following variables. Selling terms, current regulation does not cater for advances, production loans, pooling systems, and the majority of INCO terms, i.e. X-Works, delivered in port, full carry on board, et cetera. Transit times and delivery of products to destination shelves. In transit delays are beyond the control of the exporter and directly affect final delivery of products, sales thereof, and the consequent payment for products. Quality subject to inherent defects, payment of final account sales may be delayed due to shipping line claims in the, in the specific case of equipment failure, origin and destination congestion, all of which again, are beyond the control of the exporter. All three of these points I would like to address in my proposal for going forward. Um, furthermore, trust accounts. The institution of trust accounts to the export industry is impossible, reiterating that the Act in its truest form was born from the requirement to regulate fresh produce agents trading on a municipal platform. The export industry is demand-driven, i.e. stock pool, and global in its nature comprising of numerous buyers and a multitude of exchange denominations. The establishment of a trust account per buyer client would adversely affect the cost chain, with greater expense towards the administration, reconciliation, and the execution thereof. Cost elements and the currency settled varies according to the rate of exchange and the nature of such costs. Shipping line freight payments, repacking, distribution, and demerit at destination. Export costs are consolidated according to the specific denomination and not according to consignment or buyer client. Reference to the fidelity fund and fiduciary responsibilities does not cater for the most extensive risks associated with exports. Market loss, demerit and detention due to destination congestion redirection of consignment, landside and in-transit delays. Only but to name a few. Exporters borne the aforementioned risk in consult and in partnership with producers. Based upon the current status records of registration with APAC for exporters, 
substantiating that the industry is sufficiently supported by existing legislation and fiduciary aspects self-regulated within the free market system that promotes reform of agricultural marketing structures and trade liberalization. I should really learn how to say that word much better. Data that I currently have uh, requested and have access to show the composition of current registration records of export agents, indicating that a total of 152 registrations were approved since the inception of APAC. 87 of the 152 is still compliant or alternatively registering and trading under a subsidiary. 11% of which was closed on own accord, 1% voluntary liquidation, 2% um, I'm yet to ascertain the exact reason for deregistered um, and should the committee require so we will revert. Number five, audit requirements must be subject to the Companies Act 2008 Regulation 28. Currently, all are required to be audited irrespective of size, whereby Companies Act makes provision for smaller scales to curb and correlate size versus cost, with extract and specific reference. Unless the company has opted to have its annual financial statements audited or is required by its MRI to do so, a private or personal liability company that is not managed by its owners may be subject to independent review if it compiles its financial statements internally and its public interest score is less than 100. The following section has its own financial statement compiled independently and its public interest score is between 100 and 349. I do believe the majority of export agents fall under the second category of between 100 and 349. Reviewing the current requirement for the submission of financial statements within four months, versus Company Act legislation of six months. Currently, the Act requires four months for the submission of financial statements versus in compliance with the Company Act of six months. Suspension. Suspension or withdrawal of a certificate must be reviewed in accordance with the provisions of Promotion of Administrative Justice Act 3 of 2000. Good business and ethical behavior is underwritten and clearly provided for in existing legislation. Here with my recommendation, based above the submission reviews, recommending that the Agricultural Produce Agents Amendment Bill with specific reference and definition to exports be wholly revised. The framework and basis for the legislation be subdivided into two categories, namely domestic agents and exporters. With the application of said category framework and definition review, allowing the act in its current form to cater for the domestic agents category and allow proper development of legislation relevant to the export industry that will promote ethical behavior and true regulation of all role players. Further recommendation that a standard export agreement uh, which is currently available um, on the APA Council website, 
and referred to as a marketing template, focused and provided providing following important export factors. Commencement and term, inco terms applicable, payment terms, accounting duty for both parties, resolutive and suspensive conditions, claim procedures, letter of protest submissions, and dispute resolution. SARS has a platform for EDI, uh, which freight forwarding agents use to declare the customs declaration. Um, and I'm suggesting that we utilize the existing control and monitoring tools available. And APAC be allowed to review the registration with possible suspension be applied by means of revoking exporter licenses versus the current limitations and restrictions um, that we enter in terms of uh, litigation, tribunals, reviews, and all be done in accordance with the promotion of Administrative Justice Act. The customs declaration to be applied in cases pending review or dispute verifying inco-term and consignment value versus export agreement. The registration and renewal of export agents. Registration certificate to be issued upon approval of application and due diligence be exercised. Review of each exporter annually with a certificate of good standing to be issued once compliant in accordance with the rules. Certificates to be issued per entity with testing and validation by one, required by one director only, and the entity takes responsibility and accountability for its employees. And the final point, um, the APA Council Fund funding, suggesting or recommending then an application to the Department of Agricultural Land Reform be made for additional funding or substantive funding, ensuring that the agricultural cost chain remains effective and efficient while exercising the duties bestowed. Uh, similar organization in AMC in the execution and promotion of the Marketing Amendment Act. I thank you. Thanks, uh, Mrs. Calderbaum. Honorable members, those are the oral submission on public hearings of agricultural produce agents amendment bill for today. I'm now opening the floor for your questions, your comments, and we will allow them to respond because we know that at some stage we'll have to allow the department also to come over for responses. But today it will be on the submissions and the organizations that has just made submissions. I'm opening the floor to your good selves. Any questions of clarity and comments? Honorable stay. Thank you, Chairperson, and my face at least, so that I'm not just a dark uh, block. Uh, Chairperson, I, I want to thank all the presenters that came to the portfolio to make the presentations. Um, if I listen to the presentations, it sounds like 
the department did not have meetings with the relevant industry and role players before um, the, the, the bill draft or the bill was published. My question would be to the role players in the industry, and I'll ask the same question when we, when we meet with the uh, department, but whether uh, you had um, dealings with the department beforehand uh, and whether your inputs was taken into consideration before the bill uh, was brought to, to Parliament. Um, so whether your inputs in the, in the past before the bill was uh, tabled um, were taken into consideration um, or whether none of it was taken into consideration. Thank you, Chairperson. Thanks, uh, Honorable Spain. Honorable Mashadze, you have any comments or input or clarity seeking question? Honorable Mashadze? Let's move to Honorable Kappa. Thank you very much, David. Uh, no. Okay, no. Honorable Masati, proceed. Not for now, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Masati. We acknowledge your message that you're having network challenges. And Honorable Deputy Minister Kappa has also indicated earlier on on the chat group. Masati, are you there? Or we proceed? Honorable Matthias, anything from yourself? Let's move to Mayor Chete. Honorable Chete. Can't find my honorable members. Honorable Briet. Thank you, Chairperson. I am here. It seems I don't have network problems today. <laughs> Chairperson, um, I have no questions for the for the presenters. I want to thank them for their presentations. And um, what is worrying to me, Chairperson, and, and maybe let me let me say that is that um, both of the presenters raised quite the same issues. And if I remember correctly, um, our first interaction with um, with this bill. Um, also raised the exact same issues in terms of your local producers versus your exporters. Um, I would like to second just Honourable Stain, just to get clarity in terms of, I also, um, I also noted here um, worrying points about, uh, about um, stakeholders being involved in the process. Um, and that chairperson I think is, is an important thing and maybe um, I don't know from um, the department side, maybe or we can ask our legal representatives in terms of that, because if I remember all the correspondence and, and articles um, regarding um, the bill that was um, um, Arup, um, in 2012-2013, um, not much from that bill and the initial issues and the finding that that was not going to be um, a, a, a constitutionally correct, if I can call it that, excuse my terms, 
Um, I think my brain is still in, in weekend mode. Um, but in terms of that, not much has changed. And the issues um, that the bull had in 2012, 2013 are still experienced now. Um, so if we can maybe get clarity in terms of that is, are we foreseeing specifically taking note of the um, the Companies Act that has certain regulations, and now this act that has other regulations in terms of in terms of auditing, for example, which is one of the the discrepancies. Are we envisioning that this bill is actually going to be viable and will be be implemented? Because what I hear and what I see and have read, Chairperson, I do not think it will feed the the purpose of deregulating the industry, and I think we are are really just. Um, specifically, I, I even said here, for example, um, exports in terms of <laughs> of our wool, we know is an issue. And uh, my fear is that with this bill, we're going to see that in terms of fresh produce. And post COVID nineteen, I don't think we can actually, um, um, you know, we can't we can't afford it as South Africans, um, not our exporters and not our producers. Thank you, Chairperson. Thanks, uh, Honorable Briet. Honorable Mbawama. Thank you, Chairperson. I also do not have questions. However, I would like to um, echo what Mayor um, Briet has said, that we really appreciate the, um, the two presentations, specifically because they've given us their recommendations. So it's just not a matter of uh, criticizing, you know, the, the the bill itself, but it's constructive criticism in that they have given us um, uh, their ideas on how the bill should look and how the bill should be constituted, et cetera, et cetera. So I think going forward, it's just for us to apply our minds to that uh, together with the department and take their suggestions, um, you know, discuss their suggestions and and, and take those that we feel uh, um, uh, uh, will be the right ones going forward. So thank you very much to the three presenters. That's all from me, Chair. Thanks, uh, Honorable Mbavama. Honorable Masipa. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair, I think um, I don't have really question, but I just want to also thank the presenters for really um, briefing us and uh, giving them give, giving us an opportunity to hear their uh, submission. But I think it's, it's also important uh, that um, obviously the department uh, will engage thoroughly with the presenters to just make sure that the risks that are being identified here are addressed. Um, uh, our agriculture is really fragile at the moment. Um, and um, we obviously looking forward that it will really continue to grow and support our economy. Uh, the issues of Ukraine and uh, Russia have also you know, affected us. So, and uh, they are really, quite good parcels of land that we definitely need to bring them into production. So this weekend, I quite uh, have a, had a good engagement with some of the guys in the fruit produce in the development chambers, you know, with the initiatives of really ensuring that we increase um, the number of, um, you know, emerging farmers in this particular space. 
but bills like this can really um, destroy the whole um you know opportunities that we are sitting with i'm just particularly worried with the 50 percent that we might lose as a result and if uh, that is not really um, taken seriously by the department to really review this particular bill i think we are marching on the, the, the wrong path so chair from my side really i just want to say thank you to the uh, presenters to the two presenters but I think it is very important us as the lawmakers, as we deliberate, you know, we take all these um, inputs into consideration and make sure that we make the right decisions and uh, we help to draft the bill that will really assist in, instead of creating more red tapes in uh, our farmers executing their task. Thanks very much. Chair. Thanks, Honorable Masipa. Honorable Tabekulu. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, uh, I don't have any co comments or questions with regards to the presentation. Only for, 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 for the fact that, uh, you know, we are talking about the farmers who, have, who are develop, developed farmers. At the same time, we are expecting to have more of our once excluded uh, uh, farmers who are now coming to in, 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 into in, into play as the uh, as as government trying to sort of widen the the, the net for whoever uh, is is willing to 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 sort of to to enter into into agriculture produce more especially on on this uh, <coughs> fruit produce uh, 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 farmers so one welcomes everything that. Uh, the government is 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 in, in geared uh, gearing up to, and we welcome the presentations, Chairperson. Uh, Thanks, Honourable Tebekulu. Is there any other honourable member that is back? Honourable Masho is just sorting out something. She will join us. Any of the honorable members that had hiccups earlier on when I was calling them? None. Let me also, colleagues, express our gratitude on the participation and submissions of this um, organizations before us today. It is true uh, that uh, your submissions are almost the same, they're talking to the same issues. And probably my comments or input will be mainly on what the FPEF has uh, presented. We're noting your concern that you're saying this was uh, done in a short notice, a short notice period, which does not allow the sector to participate meaningfully. Will you say to us what would be adequate period in your take if you had to advise us? There's also an issue that we note in that you're saying the Gazette does not include issues that you raised present previously and you still stick into your pre, uh, three present representations on the board. But my interest is on your question of what drove the need for the changes 
of this bill. One, rightfully you indicated the purpose. That is protection of the farmers. And this is our, our interest for sure as a committee. Promotion of market access, ensuring a, a leveled playing field for agents. Now, your concerns that I want clarity on, you're saying this will increase red tape, this bill. And I tried to look into your submissions and I'm still asking myself how. Still asking myself, how will it not reduce market access and limit competition as you are alluding? You're also having concerns that it is promoting a skilled playing field for agents and farmers. But probably this could be responded on by the question that I want to ask you on your proposed solutions. All the two slides are only speaking about the agents. You don't mention farmers anyway. The last one, for an example, your last proposed solution speaks about removing requirements to obtain compulsory insurance, contribution to fidelity fund, fixed payment terms, etc., and require agents and farmers to set out a written agreement instead. And I'm asking myself sitting here, with the current situation just we just experienced of floods in KZN and other areas, the risk that involved, does your solution, your proposal, as you indicate, will it assist the farmers? Will it be able to assist if in case we have to take this? I agree with you that there's no compulsory insurance, no contribution to fidelity. If something happens like it has just happened, struck by a disaster, what happens to the farmer that we seek to, to, to protect? I also want your, to pick your brain on your definition. You're saying there's an incorrect or a clear definition of agents, fresh produce agents, export agents. How will you define this? What is your concern that you indicate on that slide to say you are also concerned about producer trust account requirements? What will be your concern about that producer trust account requirements? That will be all from me. Can I get the responses on those and the comments made? Uh, Acting Chair, thank you very much. Yes, uh, I'll start off and then I can refer to my colleagues as well. Uh, your first question on what would be a reasonable uh, notice period, at least 30 days. That is what we would consider reasonable, taking into account um, the activities that the exporters are involved in. Your other question on the definition of an agent, our big problem with that comes with the fact that currently uh, the Act and the Bill views all employees within an export agency to be agents. And it seems that uh, there is no understanding, even since we've tried since 2012 to explain 
that when we talk about an export agent, it is a company with salaried staff. So the entity, the export agency, gets the commission. Not every staff member, every director, everybody in the company. So that is one of the big concerns to ensure that there's a proper understanding of an export agency and the people employed by the agency. What's also important in this industry, as I've said, we talk about fresh. So time and temperature are the two most important crucial factors to ensure quality. So if we now have additional requirements that we would delay um, the, the shipment, the arrival of the consignments in the markets, that can obviously lead to quality losses. And then it comes into play the risk of that quality loss. So I mentioned time because that is also important as a big difference between the local agent and the export agent. Local agents uh, on the domestic market can very quickly uh, settle their payment with the producers, the farmers who supply them, because they supply to the, to the market, say the <coughs> municipal market, sold in a day or two, and the payment can be done. Whilst, as we've explained in that uh, flow diagram, the time it takes for the fruit to reach the destination market, and then it needs to be quality surveyed within 72 hours, reports being given, and then payment can only be done maybe within 10 weeks after the fruit's been sold uh, in the markets overseas, uh, the quality claims been settled, etc. So therefore we say that again, in the understanding of the process, understanding of the role of, of the agent, um, and you also referred again to the uh, in, in insurance. Insurers are not willing to provide insurance to all the destinations. And unfortunately, uh, most of the African countries are not eligible for insurance. Uh, Russia, the Middle East, uh, China, Bangladesh, India, those countries don't qualify uh, for credit insurance by international insurers. So that is one of the big problems. If that's been now, as it's stated in the, in the bill, that for every consignment, there must be credit insurance and marine insurance, um, then obviously the exporters won't be able to export those countries. And that's why we refer to at least 50% of those markets were being lost. The link to that, coming back to the farmers, the producers, they continue planting. Um, they establishing new orchards, new vineyards. Uh, we see in the case of citrus, we will see about 500,000 tons of new citrus within the next three years that would need to be exported. So the farmers continue planting, and then they come to the export and say, now you must find the market for these products that I've been keeping on producing. So that's why we say the communication between the producer, the farmer, and the exporter is very important. And also, that must be captured in a proper agreement. Of course, we see sometimes that, that, that some farmers also and exporters don't uh, engage into proper agreements, written official agreements. So that's important to come to your question about the farmers as well. Uh, and what that we refer to the 
communication because of the increased volumes and the markets that need to be found. And we had a meeting with Minister De Diza also just when we had the conflict in, in Russia to say, you know, that we need really new markets, access to new markets, because the current markets can't absorb uh, all these new plantings that's been coming from the farms. Uh, the red tape, I think that also refers to the employees uh, that would need to be registered currently uh, and the cost. Currently, the bill says, you know, every uh, director of an exporter, an export agent, be it executive or non-executive, must write an exam, an online exam from APAC um, every two years. And then it says, okay, it can be rotated that one director this year and another one the other year, but eventually everybody must write it and pay for it. And also then every marketer, every person engaging with a farmer must write that online exam. Um, and we think, you know, that is really not reasonable for everybody to do it every time. Um, again, because we're talking about the entity, because then everybody in that entity who needs to write the exam must pay. Um, and was pointed out, your smaller exporters, especially emerging exporters, can't afford that. One of the smaller exporters cited the example that he needs to export 40 containers uh, of 20 tons each of fresh fruit and get that income just to pay for those exams and registrations every year, every two years. So that, that will kill your, your emerging exporter, your smaller exporter as well. So those are the things that we said would, would add the red tape, especially the auditing as well. It's very expensive to have a full audit being done. Some of the company's quotations are between 70,000 and more than 100,000 rand for such a full audit. Um, that's been required by APAC, where he said it's not uh, in line with the Companies Act. Um, so those things that we need to, to take note of. And the question relates also asked the, of the engagement. I think Honorable uh, Stein asked that with the industry and the department. No, we didn't have engagements with the department directly, uh, only with APAC and APAC's legal representatives throughout the years. Um, so there was no direct engagement from our side with the department. And the and I think a second answer to that same question is no, unfortunately, not all the proposals we made, the things that we put on the table were taken into account when the rules for export agents were published in 2018. Um, and also that then added to, to the red tape, the additional cost and time, et cetera. Um, uh, with your permission, Chair, I want to ask uh, Luzon if she's got anything to, to add, and then after that, Liesl. Luzon? Um, thank you, Anton. Yes, I think that was a um, good description from our side of what all the additional requirements um, and costs um, are. The, the examination and registration requirements is a big one. The auditing requirements is the other one that is a big problem and the insurance like Anton mentioned. Um, and Jay, I think the, the insurance we're talking about here is not the kind of insurance that will protect a farmer against floods or 
uh, that kind of thing that's happening currently. Um, in that respect, I don't think an agent or the exporter um, has any responsibility for that. That kind of insurance uh, must be taken out by the farmer himself. The insurance we are talking about here is the kind of insurance to protect against what could possibly go wrong um, in the value chain or the logistical chain from where the fruit is delivered to the exporter and then exported um, to the importer on the other side. So if the ship um, has some issue or the temperature controls weren't correct or something happens in the market and the actual importer does not pay the export agent. So that is the kind of insurance that we're talking about here. And that is what we are pro proposing should be agreed between the export agent and the farmer, because also somebody needs to carry that cost. So if, for example, we say that there will be marine insurance, um, that cost is a cost that is carried on behalf of the farmer, meaning that that will impact the price he receives in the end. So the farmer must agree, yes, I want to insure for marine um, insurance and then agree that the cost of that insurance will come off from the sales price of his fruit. And the same thing with credit insurance. And like we've said before, in some markets, there simply isn't credit insurance available to start off with. So if that is a compulsory requirement, we will not be able to export to those markets at all. Um, and in some markets, the credit insurance is so expensive that a producer or farmer, um, if you want to call it that, will, will elect not to have the insurance. And often that risk is carried by the exporter anyway. So if something happens and the importer doesn't pay, then the exporter will still pay the farmer or still make or come to some kind of an arrangement with the farmer because the farmer often only carries the risk of the quality of the product, depending on what was agreed with the exporter and what INCO terms are being used. So what we are suggesting is that these are things that can be agreed in a written agreement between the export agent and the farmer and should be agreed between them. Um, the issue of the definition of agent, there's a few points and we also mentioned this in our written submission, is currently what's quite confusing is that the local agents are called fresh produce agents and the exporters are called export agent. However, they both deal in fresh produce. So fresh produce agent doesn't immediately make you think that this is only someone selling on the local market. So we, we have suggested that it should rather be called a local market agent and an export agent. Um, and also that be added to the definition, someone dealing in fresh produce, either intended for sale on the local market or intended for sale in the export market to further distinguish between the two. Um, one of the other issues we have is exactly that, that in certain instances, an export agent will sell products locally, but the products weren't necessarily intended for sale on the local market. They were intended to be exported, but they would, for example, be rejected by the PPECB because it does not comply with certain requirements for the export market. And then the export agent has to sell the product locally 
I'm still prize based to to get as big a possible return for the farmer. Um, but what ha- what's happening now and what the what the bill will require is that even if the exporter sells only a very small percentage of the volume of product that they handle on the local market, in, for example, cases like this where the products are rejected for export, he will be required to also register as a local market agent, currently defined as the fresh produce agent, meaning that he will then have to comply with two sets of rules, the one for local agents and the one for export agents. He will have to register as a fresh produce agent and contribute to the Fidelity Fund and also register as an export agent and contribute to security. He will have to have a producer, sorry, a producer account and a trust account. One must be audited, one won't be audited. Um, meaning that for this small percentage of rejected fruit, this agent has to basically run two sets of businesses to comply with both, meaning you will need extra manpower, extra systems, and this all creates additional costs and additional administrative burdens, which will eventually be passed on to the farmer because it becomes too expensive to run this business. Um, So that's also an example of the additional costs and red um, red tape that the bill is creating. Um, And just a final remark is that, as we mentioned before, the export industry is not opposed to regulation, but what we are asking for is that a new bill be drafted from scratch, not one that was originally drafted to deal for local agents acting on a municipal market, because the market looks completely different today than it did then, and the export market so much more. Um, And the bill is trying to simply adapt or copy and paste sections to also apply to export agents, which means it won't be practical and it can't be um, implemented. So, So the suggestion is a new bill that takes into account all the different permutations that apply to the export market. Um, because it's not as simple as just taking a product and selling it on on the municipal market. And we have provided input for, I don't know, eight years, I think, um, to to APAC um, to try and explain exactly how all the different transactions work. Um, But these uh, explanations seems not to have made their way into the new bill. We will continue to engage and we will continue to uh, supply um, suggestions um, and also to engage further on on our proposed solutions. Thank you. Thanks, Lizelle. Lizelle, do you have any response in two minutes? Yes, two minutes. May I have twenty-two? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would like to further contribute. I think uh, Anton and Lizanne has been quite extensive in their replies. Um, your specific question, I think it, it bears on everybody currently still, um, is uh, implications uh, that we're still experiencing in Durban with regard to delays, um, 
for export produce, uh, inspections, congestion, and your reference with regards to how how are we currently assisting the farmers um, after the flood situation? I think, um, again, reiterating just the distinction that needs to be made between local and export, um, that in the case of fresh consignment or pellets or fruit for that matter, uh, that was affected by the flood would then technically not be classified as an export product. Um, and such will be catered for either by the contracting forwarding agent from the exporter, um, you have a goods and transit policy, or alternatively one of the service, provided, uh, service providers involved in the chain, uh, the cold store or the handling facility, um, which would then cater for any damages or losses in products and then not due for export. And then joining to Lausanne's uh, reference with regards to a product that was packed originally for an export market and now being necessitated to be either sold on the local market to just defray costs. Um, there are also service level agreements with role players and service providers in our industry that we cater for such an instance where a farmer was affected by the flooding in Durban. Um, unfortunately, there are some parastatals that have declared force majeure, um, as it also a state of emergency. And in such a case, again, where any insurance that the bill is requiring would not be applicable to such an instance. And again, we would look at our existing regulatory framework um, that are used in the export industry to cater for such an instance versus uh, the bill require, requiring marine insurance and credit insurance. It just would not look after, for the, look after the farmer in that instance. Uh, I'd like some further elaboration or just explanation from um, the committee then, would the Fidelity Fund in such a case then step in? Then uh, marine insurance again is catered by existing regulations by means of the INCO terms that um, was presented in my submission and the terms of sale, whether it is ex-cold store or delivered in port would specify whether marine insurance is for the seller or the farmer producer or for the buyer, which is the export agent or consignee at destination. Um, I think in closing, and I'm seeing the ticking on the two minutes, there are existing legislation and solutions that we should look towards that has been self-regulating our industry since deregulation. And I think, or not think, I know it's been successful in such. And to apply these restrictions or proposals to the whole industry would not be conducive to further market access. And the anticipated growth that our agricultural sector is due for in the next three years. 
And yes, I think that's three minutes. Thank you for the additional one. I thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lizanne. Uh, Honorable Briet has just posted on the chat to say probably, Lizelle, you can clarify uh, on this one that APEC was established in terms of the act that is being amended by the bill. It regulates agents on behalf of the department. So why is it that you're raising concerns as APEC? Does this mean that the department also didn't engage with you as APEC before tabling the bill? Your response on that? before you go off the platform? Um, may I get another three minutes? <laughs> no. The consultation with APAC or APAC in its entity is to apply the rules as what is constituted in the Act. With regards to legislation, uh, input and contributions was delivered uh, to the department and committee members and considered as a whole from our council. Um, I have gone through um, the history and the submissions, and um, although we are constituted by the Act uh, with regards to the formation of the legislation, I think the contributions could have been more substantive and recognized in the formulation. I'm of the opinion that it was not. Uh, I cannot speak to my predecessors. Um, I do believe the registrar of APAC has been fervent in uh, promoting the concerns and presenting that uh, to the committee and the members um, with regards to the results thereof. Unfortunately, I do not see it in the current bill in its form. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Melizel, Anton, and Luzen. Thanks for the responses. Uh, just to remind uh, my colleagues, honorable members, and um, the sector that uh, the Agricultural Produce Agents Amendment Bill is one of the five pieces of legislation that the committee needs to process this financial year. And in the previous year, the committee advertised this bill for public inputs. And we are pleased that uh, we received immense support and interest that is shown by the agricultural sector stakeholders. We received not less than 70 written submissions to the bill. And uh, from today, with these two submissions, including tomorrow, we will still be receiving oral submissions coming from those stakeholders that has done written submission and indicated interest to present before the committee also. Now, following public hearings, honorable members, we will schedule a meeting with the department for a response to all the inputs that have been made by stakeholders on the bill, both written and oral submissions. And uh, this will be done before we as the committee embark on our own process. As we have had changes in the parliamentary program and in the light of the budget vote debate next week, Secretariat will advise on the date of the department's process or response. 
The committee appreciates the interest that has been shown by stakeholders on this bill. And we are certain that your inputs will greatly assist the committee in further processing agricultural produce amendment bill. Having said that, uh, honorable members, I will excuse our presenters and uh, the department for sure as we now deal with uh, our last item on consideration and adoption of outstanding minutes and a report. Thank you, Anton and your team. Thanks, uh, APEC. And uh, Thank you. We, will, we will process your issues. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. Honourable members, we now dealing with minutes of proceedings of Portfolio Committee on Agricultural and Reform and Rural Development, minutes of Tuesday, 15 February 2022, that was held from nine o'clock virtually. The agenda was briefing the Department of Agricultural and Reform and Rural Development and Commission on Restitution of Land Rights on their quarterly performance and financial expenditure reports for 2021-2022. We are on page one. That's the attendance by committee members. Attendance register on page one, page two. Opening and welcome. Number one, apologies as two. Item three, that is the summary of proceedings. 3.1. Page three, it's continuing with items of items of 3.1. Departmental financials continue. Three point two on page four is comments and questions by honorable members of the committee. Page five, response by the department, 3.3. 3 3.4, presentation by the commission on their APP quarterly performance targets.
3.5 comments and questions by members of the committee, followed by response by the commission. We see you adding four not before it's raised. 3.6 responses by the commission. Fourth was the committee resolutions. Three resolutions made and the meeting adjourned at 13 hours. Any matter on those honorable members? I'm putting the minutes before your good selves for adoption. I haven't had any indication of correction on those pages as we were scrolling through. Do I get a mover for adoption of the minutes of the 15th February 2022? Honorable Kappa. Uh, thank you, Chair. I raise motion for the adoption of the minutes of the 15th of February 2022. Thanks, Honorable Tapa. Any second? Chair, I will second. Thanks, Honorable Bruyet. Seconds adoption of the minutes of the 15th February 2022. Minutes are duly adopted as a true reflection of proceedings of that day. Any other minutes, Secretariat? Is this the only minutes that you had for adoption? We're moving to the minutes of Tuesday, 25th, February, 2022, a virtual meeting that was held for briefing by the Agricultural Research Council, OPB, OBP, NAMAC, Office of Value General, and Ngojama Trust Board on the 2020-2021 quarterly reports. The attendance register is on the first page, as indicated. Page two, one was opening and welcome. Sub items up to three, register and apologies. Number three summarizes the proceedings from 3.1 was presentation by ARC. Page three. Comments, concerns and questions by committee on 3.2. 
followed by responses by ARC on 3.3. We then had OBP on number four, presenting on their quarterly performance and financial expenditure. Four point two were comments that were made and concerns, as well as questions by honourable members. Page four, number five, we have in presentation by NAMAC, APP quarterly targets and performance. 5.2 questions, comments, clarity seeking questions by committee. Followed by 5.3 responses by Dr. Nkaweni, Nkaweni, okay. OVG also presented as per 5.4. Members commented and asked questions on 5.5. Responses by OVG, 5.6. Page six, presentation by ITB, 5.7. The concerns expressed by committee, Five point nine responses by TB seven. The resolution to submit all responses in writing and eight meeting agenda at fifteen hours. Honorable members, I put the minutes of the 25th February 2022 before your good self for adoption. As you have considered them as we were scrolling through, do I get a mover for adoption? Anybody home? Hello? Yes, ma'am. I don't. I propose that we adopt the minutes. Thanks, Honorable Stain. Moves for adoption of the minutes of 25th February 2022. Honorable Kappa, your hand is up. Yes, I second the motion to adopt the minutes of the 25th of April 2022. Thanks, Honorable Kappa. The minutes of the 25th February 2022. 
has been considered and duly adopted. We're moving to the minutes of the 1st of March, 2022 virtual meeting. Agenda was progress report by the Department of Agricultural and Reform and Rural Development on findings and recommendation in the first and second special reports of Auditor General on financial management of COVID-19 initiatives. Page one is your attendance register. As indicated, one opening and welcome, followed by attendance register and apologies, as indicated on number two. Proceedings starts at number three, 3.1. Progress report and findings and recommendations. Page three. 3.2 comments and questions by members. As we move to the next page. Page four, 3.3 response by Dalrat. Number four, these are committee resolutions 4.1 and 4.2. The meeting agenda at 12.45. Having considered this meeting, this minutes as we were scrolling through honorable members. Do I have a mover for adoption of the minutes of the 1st of March? Chair Tandegam Papama moves for the adoption of the minutes of the 1st of March. Thanks, Honorable Babama, for adopt, moving for adoption of the minutes of the 1st of March, 2022. Any seconder? Chairperson, I will second. Thanks, Honorable Briet. Seconds that we adopt the minutes of the 1st of March, 2022. We're moving on. Minutes of proceeding of the 22nd March 2022 virtual meeting, response by Dalrat to the findings and recommendations of first and second special reports of Auditor General on financial management of government's COVID-19 initiatives, consideration and adoption of outstanding report and minutes. This was game two after we returned them. The attendance register is on page one, as indicated. There was open and welcome was item one. 
Sorry, Chair, I missed the date. Which which one are we dealing with now? 22nd March. Yeah. There was uh, the register and apologies on item two. Let's move. Summary of proceedings starting at 3, 3.1. That's the progress report findings and recommendations. Three point two comments by the committee members. Item three point three, the response by Dalrat. we had um, a set of minutes that were adopted in the report I'm going to five consideration of the draft of the site yeah, meeting agenda at half past one honorable members Having considered this minutes as we were scrolling through, I put them before you for adoption. Honorable Masati. Thank you very much, Chair. I move for adoption of the minutes. Thanks, Honorable Masati. Moves for adoption of the minutes of 22nd March 2022. Any seconder? Thanks, Chair. I second the move for the approval of the minutes as a true reflection of, of the of the proceedings. Thanks, Honorable Kappa, Honorable Members. The minutes of the 22nd March 2022 has been duly adopted. We move on. We move on. We are awaiting you, Secretariat. Are we done with the minutes? We're still checking, ma'am. They are the 15th and the 23rd. There are two sets of minutes that are still assigning. I'm looking at our time. We need to go and log in into the city. 
and ACT. If you could help us on that. Can I please be excused? I'm sure we have enough members to proceed with the minutes if we need to. You are released, Honorable Stan. Thanks for holding up. Right. Let's flag those two sets. Let's deal with them. Tomorrow, ma'am. Oh, okay. Thanks. So we're done for for the day. Yes. We continue tomorrow with adoption of the outstanding ones. Tomorrow and the oversight report in PPECP and District 6. Okay. Honorable members, that brings us to the end of today's proceedings. Thanks for attending and thanks for your interaction and input, deliberations and everything. Let's meet later in the house. Thank and you. Simboboto. And Simboboto. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I see she took the limelight out of you. Eh? <laughs> no, okay. Sure. Sure. Recording stopped.